Before we kick this show off, let's hear a word from our sponsors. So it's been a full season for the Under Pressure Outdoors crew in the Hasmore Outdoor Products Silent Seat. And let me tell you, they're worth every penny. And here are some reasons why. Number one, you can't beat the comfort level. Number two, they don't hold in moisture like rain or sweat. Number three, they completely fold out of the way when you stand up, giving you a full range of motion in your climber. And number four, they cut down on your setup and breakdown times dramatically. Don't just take our word for it. Use offer code UPO15 and get 15% off your silent seat and many other U.S.-made accessories for your climber today. You can find Hasmore Outdoor Products on Facebook and hasmore.net. That's H-A-Z-M-O-R-E dot net. And in the link in this podcast description. I'm your host, Will Krebs, and this is the Under Pressure Outdoors Podcast. To pull that, pull that mic in real close to your face. You, yeah, you got to be talking into the front of it. Gotcha. <laughs> He's Google. I need to adjust mine a little bit. <clears throat> Unless you're Briar, then you just no. use it like a ventilator. Hey, by the way, before you introduce him, you should probably learn how to pronounce his last name. How do you pronounce your last name? Simple. Tarnecki. I would have been pretty damn close. Yeah. I was going to go with Tarnacki, but yeah. I bet you get that all the time. Oh, I get all sorts. Oh, I, I can only imagine. <laughs> I mean, my last name's five letters, and people can't pronounce that or spell it correctly either. People can't spell it right, dude. They they literally, I, all the time, I'm like, Krebs. And they're like, K-R. I'm like, no, it's with a C. That's, and I'm that like, I can Charlie, understand. Romeo. But then you get down to the B, and at every single time, they tip, put two Bs in it. And I'm like, why? Where does it ever? Krebs. Krebs. Yeah, Krebs. It just, it's just Krebs. Bubbs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> why, why did you put two Bs in it? Yeah, that's why I tell you. It just sounded out. Mm-hmm. Just, just the way it's written. Lane Tarnicky. Blaine. 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 Close Sorry. enough. Blaine Tarnicky. <laughs> Had that before, too. My entire life, I grew, well, my youth, grew up across the street from the Krzyzewskis. Right? Pronounced, like, in the... I'm watching college basketball, and they were talking about Coach Shashevsky, and they put his name up, and I'm like, "That's Krasuski. That's Krasuski. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I grew up across from him, right? It's like, oh, how do you get? Shh, there's there's a, there's a silent sh in there, except it's only silent when it's written, and then you, it's like, how do you get Shashevsky out of Krasuski? So let me, I've never seen it written. Let me go ahead and introduce everybody we've got here tonight. I'm your host, Will Krebs. we got Jordan. I'm here. Let's get it. Jim. Yes, sir. And Blaine Tarnecki. I am here. From Brown Dog Academy and what What was the Yeah, other? we own uh, Hudson River Retrievers, a Hudson. retriever training business company up in Lula, Georgia, the town no one ever heard of, L-U-L-A. It's uh, 20 miles north of Gainesville, sort of up in the foothills of the mountains. Gainesville, Georgia. Gainesville, Georgia. Yeah. There you go. It's easy to mistake when you live so in Florida. So you're, you're down quite a ways then. 
from home? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, we live in the coldest portion of Georgia. Georgia's not that cold of a state until you get up there, and it's 30-degree difference from my house and Macon, Georgia. Uh, 15, 20 degrees colder than Atlanta, and you're just getting higher elevations. And it seems like the mountains just, when the rain comes in the wintertime, it just stays on top of us. And we have 35 and rain for 80% of the January and February. So we get the heck out of there and come down to sunny Claremont, Florida. Fair enough. I can't blame you for that. So, before we get into what our topic of discussion this evening, we got some events to talk about. Uh, let's see. Duck boxes. That's our next so one. They're on this, that piece of paper. This so. one's coming out. Yes. Uh, you Mo- you're hearing this Monday. No, you can't <laughs> to me. You're hearing this Monday. And uh, so, this Saturday, February 25th, we're going to be putting out wood duck uh, nesting boxes. Um, and then... Uh, April 21st is a Ducks Unlimited dinner with UPO. If you still want to get tickets to us, um, do you ever make a link for that? Or are you just going to contact us? And we have a, we don't have a link, but we've got, we have an event site up on Facebook, but we've done a terrible job of promoting it because we had the youth hunt and we got a whole bunch of other things. We got the wood we, duck box. We've got about a thousand things going on <clears> right now. Yeah. yeah so um, we should probably go in there and create a ticket link. So that people can buy it, and then we'll just send all the tickets into Ducks on all the ticket money into Ducks Unlimited. We we got we got the hookup on that. So fair enough. We need people to buy tickets so they can come be cool at our table. May third through the seventh is the fish fifth annual Swanee River fishing expedition, which I am definitely looking forward to. Actually, I just started kind of putting things together and digging things around, and in typical fashion. Um, I can't own a microfiber t- microfiber towel for more than a year, so I've lost it. I, I don't know where it went. Mine's in my boat. Yeah, I mine's gone. Just straight gone. To Do that. The, to that, the that, was, that was impressive. Do that again. Oh wow! Yeah, that's not even off the sound effects board. I'm gonna have <laughs> to do. Oh, gosh, I should probably get start getting a canoe together. I gotta I gotta figure out the seats because I, I need a better seat than last year. Drag it over here. We'll get to where I, I took mine back to back to. I sent it back to Amazon. Oh, mine just went in the garbage. Yeah, I got my fifty bucks back. Yeah, I should have, but. But I mean, it got it got me through. Yeah, but uh, there's got to be a better. We figure out a way to put the millenniums in there. I agree. I agree. That's the key. <laughs> and what uh, comes after that? Comes after that. May twentieth is the crawfish boil. Maybe. Crawfish the twenty twenty three mud bug bash crawfish boil and poker run at. Jolly uh, Gator. The Jolly Gator. In Geneva. Geneva, Florida. 46. Puzzle Lake. That's going to be a fun one. So, on top of that, right now, we've got some <clears throat> awesome fundraising raffles happening where you don't have to be present to win. Uh, if you go on our website, there's a custom rifle uh, up for raffle right now. Uh, it's a custom hunting rifle and by custom I don't mean like oh wow we had an, a guy build it for you and it's not a Remington. I mean once you win it then we will put you in contact with the gunsmith and he will build it within the specs given on the sheet. You're going to get to pick your stock. You get to pick between a 6.5 Creedmoor or 308 or a 300 Wind Mag. Uh, it's going to be on a Bergara action with a, a, a barrel. You're going to get a carbon fiber, fully carbon fiber stock several different profiles to pick from. Nice Picatinny rail. You can pick a uh, paint job on it, too. <laughs> adjustable trigger. You pick your paint job. It comes with a 
four to twenty by fifty Athlon scope in a hard case, zeroed right out the box. Sign me up. Twenty five bucks a ticket. Only two hundred fifty yeah, tickets available. You think uh, we can get Zach to go to uh, six five? Um, Grendel. No. PRC. PRC. You might be able to get him to do that, but you probably have to pay a little extra. I got a couple fellows that are thinking PRC. I'm I'm sure I, I wouldn't doubt that if you you we spoke if you wanted, he has you spoke several with Zach, six five PRCs he built if them you so spoke he can. with Zach and you want to kick him kick him in some extra cash on top of that he'd be willing to do it for you I, I think the reason he's chosen the the calibers uh, to build it in is those are very common and those are probably the least expensive barrels that he can get a hold of cool but I mean six five PRC is great if you're reloading three hundred wind mag get you there too. I already got a 300. I wouldn't mind a 308. I want that 300 win back. Yeah. I, I personally just have, I mean, you know, I know it's probably a great round and all, and actually I know it is ballistically and blah, 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 but I'm still convinced that really 6.5 Creedmoor is popular because the name Creedmoor. Because 6.5 Grenelle and all that, you know, if they called it the 6.5 Doofenshmirtz, nobody would be buying that gun. What? I've got one. It'll slap kill a deer. Oh, you ain't gonna tell me I shoot one too. I love it. I wanted a ducks and luna banquet. I was gonna say we you, we see people online all the time. You feel, oh you can't they won't kill a deer. Any deer he shot with his looks like somebody took a dang bucket of blood and was just throwing blood out with a cup. If it, it, it if it I've runs. killed him with twenty two two fifty. You gotta hit so, it. I mean, you gotta hit it where you're supposed to hit it and yeah. it'll die. You know what's funny is my dad. He he was on the on the group of talking crap about talking it when train, I first yeah. yeah it was shit talking train when I first bought it and then I convinced him I was like look man Ruger American pick one at 400 bucks he bought it put a scope on it carried it out to the deer stand he's like he telling me if I was like man this dumb thing don't kick at all then he shot a deer with it he's like man that sucker dropped him right in his tracks like I I told mm-hmm. you that's why I like shooting it it don't kick it puts them down in the dirt you can you, and you can find bullets yeah yeah uh, but I don't, I don't have any problem with the one I've got. And I actually cut the barrel down to four. It, it's 16 inches overall length with the barrel or with the brake pinned and welded. Cause I run a suppressor on the end of it. So it gives me a, like a full length, 22 inch barrel with my suppressor on there. Right. I don't um, even hunt with a rifle much, but I'm at a DU banquet at university of Georgia with a bunch of college kids. Right. And so they got this five gun raffle deal going and they draw your number. You get the choice of what guns are left. Well, I get drawn fourth, and so they had four. They had three cheap over and under twenty gauges, you know, three four hundred dollar Academy Sports brand, you know, guns, and a twenty two, and then this Weatherby Vanguard with a Leopold scope, some kind of special edition stock. I mean, sweet looking little rifle. And I got up there; it was kind of dark. I got up on that stage, and the gun shop owner was there, and I said, "They didn't pick this one." He said, he just laughed and said, no. I said, give me that. I said, I'll take, I said, how much is that thing worth? He said, ah, with everything, the way it says, it's probably about 1800 I said, yeah, give me that one. Because if <laughs> I don't no like kidding. it, at least I can sell it. I'm not yeah. going to get a $300 shotgun just because it's an over and under. Yeah. Uh, but I love it. I mean, I bow hunt most of the time. But, you know, if I want to, you know, snipe one across my ponds down in the pasture in the evenings, I'd ride over there with it. On top of that rifle right now, we also have a, 23 horsepower. 23 horsepower. Mudwalker. Mudwalker surface driver. Mud motor, yep. Yeah. Which, you know, people are like, oh, it's only 23 horses. And I have a guy say, oh, it's too small for you because he knows, like, 
you know, going out with other guys. I'm like, but if it's Tuesday morning and it's just me on a 14 foot trailer, 14 foot boat, that little 23 will probably push you along real fine. Well, I also want to point out that everybody says it's only a 23, but Jordan's is technically only a 30. Five. Five. I had some guy message me because I got it posted for sale on Facebook. Messed me today. And uh, I, I, the ad said something about the trim not working. And he messages me. I had to decipher through his illiteracy. But hold on. I got to find the message just to read it. And we kind of went back and forth a little bit because he's just a doofus. Maybe he, he said, said jump yeah, it over Hi, the Jordan. Berm. Is it still available? Right? That's this automatic response. And he typed on top of that as well and said, that's because it's not getting enough oil to the essential parts. It's mounted incorrectly. <laughs> it should be mounted up and down, not sideways. That's why it's not running something. It's fucked up. <laughs> And I responded, and I was like, yes, it's available. It's a horizontal shaft motor, not a vertical. Yes, it's mounted properly. <laughs> and then he proceeds to call it, uh, I've never seen a Predator engine mounted like that. And I said, well, that's because it's a Vanguard, not a Harbor Freight. <laughs> and then he's like, Vanguard is made by Predator. I said, Vanguard is made by Briggs & Stratton. Predator is a Briggs clone. And he's like, well, you know. Uh, Same thing. Yeah, he's like, well, you know, Predator makes Briggs and Stratton engines in their China factory now, and I'm like, I'm not. Buy. Yeah, yeah. If you if you ain't buying, and on so on top of those two we have up right now, if you show up to the day of the event, we've also got. Uh, this five, is going to be a three hour podcast if you read read all the stuff we got. Oh, I, I can do this little short little list that sits in today. We got a lot of stuff. What I've got right here in front of me is a five-hour four-man bow fishing trip, a half-day one-man inshore fishing trip, a three-man or two three-man half-day scallop, scalloping trips, a two-man half-day fishing trip, a boat doctor prop, um, a custom prop cover from Marsh Tech, four sheets of hydro turf, community, uh, a two-man duck hunt for the 23-24 season, a uh, two-person two-hour shore fishing trip, two pocket defender knives, one-man turkey hunt. And a Winchester SXP, SXP, and we got a full. Gauge. We got a full, uh, a full day for you and three buddies from McNutt offshore. There you go. And we probably got coolers coming in from Joey Lyon. Would oh, be my I'm guess. sure. And, it's only going to keep growing and more and more because we just started scratching the surface. Right. This is. I don't know how many folks we're going to get out there. Probably two, two to three hundred. But at the rate things are going, it's going to be like, you get a prize and you get a trip. <laughs> and, you know, it's uh, a lot of people are going to go away happy from this thing if you buy yeah. some raffle tickets. Not to mention you join in on the, the mud run and I think we've advertised a cash prize. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. We're going to split half the, half the mud run is going to go to charity because this is for charity. 100% of it and half of the pot is going to be split between three winners. So... Somebody's going home a few thousand dollars richer, probably. That'd be great. Yep. Yeah, that would be a blast. And we have a... We don't know exactly which one yet, but we have a on-the-fly jack plates. It will go up pre... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So somebody so can win a jack plate, too. You'll be able to find <clears throat> links to the raffles that are live now and the link to get your Crawfish Bowl tickets in the podcast description. Yep. Oh, and uh, a side note, you know, we... 
There's 52 weeks in the calendar year, and sure enough, we put our event, and a couple guys, we really didn't mean to step on their toes, but a couple guys like, hey, you know, we got another event we've got going on down in Lake Wales. And they're fine fellas. It's a it's a, an event apparently just primarily from for camaraderie. And um, we're going to say, man, any anytime anybody's doing something to get people together, right, hunters, fishermen, men, women, and they're just going to go out and enjoy our public land and water, hallelujah. So if you listen to this and for whatever reason you're looking at where our location is down in Geneva or you don't like crawfish or whatever, check out them boys down in, in Lake Wales. I don't know if the event has a an official name or is just the Kissimmee River mud run, but that's also on the same day as ours. Um, or for that matter, we're pretty cool. I mean, you want to go out and run, run early with them and then jump in the car, let us know you're coming. We'll save you some crawfish. It's the third annual <clears throat> Lake Kissimmee Mud Boat Poker Run. There you go. Yeah, man. So go out and hang out with those fellas. If you don't want to come out with us, go hang out with them. Um, you know, I think we're all trying to pull in the same direction. And uh, hopefully next year we'll be able to coordinate a little better so we're not, you know, we don't end up accidentally stepping on each other's toes. But this year with being pinched between Mother's Day and uh, <clears throat> Memorial Day and then their 50-mile run and the Ducks Unlimited dinner and and – we just got so much stuff going on. It was basically that weekend or we would miss crawfish season. And since we do a crawfish boil, we, we, we couldn't move, but we didn't mean to step on anybody's toes. It is what it is. We'll, we'll see what we can do next year. Make it a little better for everybody. Hallelujah, man. But <coughs> we talk about dogs. Yeah. So we aren't here to just talk about crawfish and mud runs, and everything else. We're here to talk about dog training. Let's do it. Yeah. So where did you get your start? And I mean, what, what made you want to start training dogs? I was a duck hunter and I needed a dog. I had a buddy and this goes into the Boykins side of things. We don't just train Boykins, but that's how we got our start was with Boykins. Had a buddy from middle part of Georgia that had some Boykins and he duck hunted, saw the dogs. This is kind of cool, kind of different and went into it. For a lot of the reasons a lot of people get Boykins now, they want to do something different, you know, tired of seeing labs, I guess. But I got one, started hunting with him. He was a dang good dog. I bought an old VHS tape uh, training uh, program by a guy named Evan Graham, who's still, you know, doing this today and um, sort of my never met mentor in, in getting started training dogs. And he was showing you how to train dogs for hunt tests and field trials. But I figured if the dogs can do that stuff, then hunting will be really easy for them. And so I would, you know, follow it step by step and train the, this one, this first dog I got. And then I got another one and did the same thing with him. Well, we had a, a public watershed that we hunted close by our house and um, it was electric motor only. And we'd troll out. There's about six good spots to hunt on the place. And this is, 20 something years ago it was pretty good duck hunting back then uh, before your generation came and took over <laughs> um anyway so on the way back to the boat ramp i'd get back to the boat ramp and there'd be another boat there uh loading back up and there was a boykin on the front of his boat and we got to talking for a few minutes and found out where he lived and then you know over the course of, of a duck season i met three guys with boykins up in northeast georgia and i'd never seen any other than mine and my buddy who got me into them and so after duck season was over, also found out that two of them were using the same training program to train their dogs. So we kind of had a lot in common there. And so after season, we said, well, let's get together on the weekends. You know, on Saturdays, we'll train on our farm. On Sundays, we'll go to your farm. And we'd get together 
and we started a little group we called the brown dog mafia back then and we'd train every weekend and did that for a year or so got hooked up with a local pro up there that trained dogs and he didn't like boykins as most pros back then didn't they wanted to train labs because it was easier they can go to these hunt tests pass the higher level tests easier and frankly they thought the boykins were a pain in the ass and all the ones they had saw at these tests were they were just shit eaters they weren't very good dogs and i didn't know it mine were all you know as good as any of the labs i ever saw and so i started training with him a little bit and the first day i showed up he didn't know i had a boykin and i showed up and he saw he's like what in the hell he said i thought you had a lab i said no what's the matter he said well i've just seen him before and so he's got this what would be a finished level setup um for his older dogs uh set up and he you know ran six seven eight dogs and then decided all right you know do you want to scoot up do you want us to move the marks in closer well you know what do you want to do i said no i want to run it the same damn way you've been running it and so i did it my dog did it good he said i've never seen a boykin like that and i got to know him pretty well and training with him two or three times a week and he said well i'm going to a hunt test this you know in this next weekend you want to go and just check it out and i was like well i don't want to go and check it out i said, I I said all i do is hunt and train my dog I said, what's a hunt test? And he was explaining to me how it worked and what the rules were. And he said, you know, there's a started level, a season level, and a finished level in the UKC. In the AKC, it's junior, senior, and master. And he said, you probably need to just go and run season to get started. And I said, well, I said, my dog's doing the same thing your finished dog's doing. I'm just going to sign up for finished. He said, all right, just go in balls deep. So I went in, passed my dog both days. I said, well, this is pretty fun. But then I saw some other boykins there. And I saw all these things that people were talking about and why they didn't like the breed, you know, for, you know, for retrieving and water work and this kind of stuff. And, you know, dogs that wouldn't pick up the birds that, you know, wanted to chew on the birds or didn't want to get in the water where they're supposed to get in the water, wouldn't run blinds good, just doing all the things that people were, were saying about it. I saw it. Well, I got an HRCH title on that dog. I got another one, got another HRCH title on it, helped a buddy get that title on his Boykin and, one thing led to another and i had a few small businesses over the years and at this point i'm a school teacher and i thought well you know what i've got several months in the summer i'm out i'm only working you're working 180 days as a school teacher i'm out at three o'clock every day i might take on a few dogs i had people at these hunt tests started seeing my dogs and said hey we you know we work with my dog and so i said well screw it i'll you know i'll take five to eight dogs and start working them and one thing led to another those dogs started doing well and more people were you know calling us and asking to train the dogs and somehow i got the school to agree to let me be a part-time full-time teacher still have the benefits but i only worked till noon i was a special ed teacher and i would get in early i'd work till noon my kids would go to other classes the rest of the day and then i'd go home and train dogs till dark and so i did that the rest of that school year and you know, things were getting pretty, you know, pretty busy for me. My wife had a good job and I, and we just talked about it. I said, let's just, I'm just going to train dogs full time. And so we had, you know, goals and a plan for the next few years, but we hit our five-year goal in about one year and it just, you know, it just took off for us. Um, and we were just training Boykins only at that point. And I felt that was more of respect to my buddy who got me into the hunt test who was training labs and we were so close together. I didn't want to, you know, we just didn't want to compete for it. Yeah. So, so uh, before we started this podcast, we watched you feverishly uh, yeah. attempt to get into a hunt test. Did you get in? We did get in. Awesome. What 
role does that still play as far as the training goes? Because like, obviously it's very important to you. I want to know why is it important? All right. So we've got 35 dogs in our kennel usually is, is our max limit. And I've got an assistant trainer that works for me and we've got other guys that help us guys and girls. Um, probably of those 35 dogs, 80% of them are competitive dogs. That's their main focus in life. They're owned by breeders and they want these titles on their dogs to make their puppies more valuable. And so it's a business for them. And so they want the titles on their dogs just to show that they can do this work and it's a big deal to them and it's a big deal to me i'm a competitive person and i like to know that you know we're doing especially with the boykins now most of them that we're running in this master test we signed up for tonight i think there's i signed up 13 dogs and three of them are boykins the rest well three of them are boykins there's one golden the rest are labs um they you know for some people it's a, a dick measuring contest yeah to say I've got the best dog, you know, I've got right. a master hunter. I've got a dog that goes to master nationals and, and completes that, or I've got a field trial dog and, you know, we run field trials and hunt tests and there's a difference, a, a hunt test. There's a standard for each level. And so you're not competing against other dogs. You're competing against the standard. And so if the standard for a master hunter is this, you need to meet or exceed that standard to get a pass for that weekend. If you get six passes, then you have a master hunter titled dog. And so you get those letters on the end of their names and value starts increasing. Well, in a field trial, it's not about pass or fail. It's about who's the best. And so they're going to place those dogs first, second, third, and fourth over the course of that, that trial. And those are really fun, but you have to get, you know, it's, it's such a different, it's a different venue. It's a different game. And my clients that run hunt tests are used to me getting, you know, bringing them a ribbon back when we go to a hunt test. Well, in a field trial, there ain't but four dogs getting a ribbon. And, you know, you're going home without one a lot more than you're going home with them. And it's a tough pill to swallow for people that are used to getting those master ribbons every weekend. And so we're transitioning and doing a lot more of the field trials now, too, um, just because I'm so daggum competitive. And when I go get my butt kicked, you know, one weekend, I'm like, all right, they ain't going to beat me again. I'm just, I just yeah. It makes me work harder. My wife, it drives her crazy. Um, she's got a yellow lab that's a yellow lab that serves that we're running in a trial Friday up in, uh, Williston and she loves the dog and he's done well on some, but you know, like I said, you coming home without one more than you're coming home with one. And we, you know, she rides with me to most trials and hunt tests and travels with me now that our kids are grown up, but you know, she's like, I don't know why you do these. <laughs> you just don't understand. You're not a guy. You're not competitive. You yeah. don't, you know, that's not easy. Well, you, we do so much better in a hunt test. I said, I know, but it's different. I said, I like winning. I yeah. like saying I beat your ass. Yeah, and you, so that's <laughs> the fun part. So I got a question, and I guess, fair warning, I'm kind of going to jump a little bit in the deep end of the pool. <clears throat> I know that you're not a dog breeder, right? I do breed dogs, too. Oh. Well, we may be deleting this question. <laughs> no, my, so no, my question is, um, we get pedigreed dogs. Right, and in theory, when you talked about the by passing these tests, you increase the value of the of the of their puppies, right? Right. So I've had, we've had other people in. We we talk about you know if you take championship dog, championship dog, you think you put them together, all you're going to get is championship pups. Absolutely not. Nope. That's what I was. That's the question I was <laughs> yeah, asking. Is like, you. and so it's like, it's like buying lottery tickets. 
if you go into the store and you buy 50 scratch off tickets or buy one, you got a better chance of hitting something with the 50. Yeah. And so I tell people, especially with Boykins, because it matters with Boykins. I've trained Boykins from every line across the country over the years. I'm pretty sure I've gotten more HRCH titles on Boykins than anybody else. I know which ones produce dogs that like to work, are teachable, and hate a duck more than anything in this world. And they will do anything to get to that thing and catch it. And so breeding matters, even in the labs. But the, the thing that also matters is you can't, a puppy's not born a field champion or a master hunter. It's born an idiot like every other puppy. But does that puppy have more potential with the right training and direction in life? Absolutely. Um, but, you know, I've sold great Boykin litters over the years. The ones that came back to me for training typically got their titles. Not that I was better than everybody else that got one, but that dog had what it, you know, got what it needed, was a teachable dog, and they liked to work. They weren't lazy. They loved water. They loved birds. And, you know, you that's, you know, that's in breeding. That's, that comes from those bloodlines. And then I've seen, I mean, I, I can, I won't name them, but I know Boykin lines that I've trained. So I won't even, t I won't take them unless they're really out of any of my lines at this point. Cause I can be picky about which ones I get, but you know, there's some that I know don't like water. Well, then I got to force and force and force to make it do something it doesn't want to do. I've got some, I've seen some lines that, you know, have produced so many dogs that picket birds. You know, genetic flaws in this dog that just keeps going generation after generation, and it's not getting any better. And so I like a fast dog. I don't really care what in the heck they look like. If they're fast and like a duck in their mouth and like the water, I can make it into what somebody wants. And um, so breeding does matter, but it doesn't guarantee it. You're absolutely right. Well, I, you say it's a perfect example that, that having the uh, a papered lineage for a dog doesn't really it, it well it, it it doesn't necessarily guarantee you a good duck dog is uh it increases your odds it does well but you look at Briar's dog liberty yep she's just a black lab pup there there was no special lineage there that i'm aware of she's a great damn duck dog and that yep. that happens a lot too yeah one yeah. of my best boykins ever he died back in i don't know it's been a while he was a national champion. He was a master on a hunt retriever champion. He had done anything that a boy can, can do. He was an accidental breeding that a guy had that cost me 600 bucks. He made me thousands of dollars. <laughs> I mean, just cause, but he was a badass little dog. And so it can happen, but it's, you know, it's like athletes. They've got to have that drive. Yeah. It's yeah. like athletes. You look at, you know, I loved basketball. But I'm a five foot nothing chubby white say. guy. Okay. <laughs> I could shoot a little bit and I love the thought of it. And if I'd have been six four, I'd be the biggest pain in the ass ever on the just because I would think I was better and bigger and everybody and stronger. But I can't jump. I can't run that fast. Yeah. But my parents couldn't jump, couldn't run that fast. And so it's just it's pedigrees. And so dogs the same way. You get a mom and a dad that were great. They're parents were great their grandparents were great and you've got a better shot of having a very good athletic smart you know workable dog and you know a dog that wants to work that's what i want yeah i don't care if it's a lab a boykin or a golden 
if it likes to come out of that trailer every day and is excited about work, and some of them don't, some of them hate the train. They come out of that thing and they're like, oh, shit, not this again. <laughs> but they show up on game day and do pretty yeah. good. Or they hunt and they're, they're awesome hunters, but they don't like to work. They're lazy. And dogs are lazy creatures by nature, but if you get one that jumps out of that truck fired up and running circles around the trail, it's like, let's go, let's go, I'm ready, whatever you want to do, let's do it. You can do something with those. But it still yeah. takes the right training. I, t- I tell you what's interesting, though, Jordan and Jim, I want to know if you guys noticed this. Did you guys actually see the the pedigree paperwork that um, that's on the wall at Piney Woods Hunting Lodge? At Keith's, yeah, it goes. At all Keith's. of his dogs have yeah. a huge lineage. That was I. I read through that stuff. All of his, his his bird dogs, and that is some really neat stuff. And he's got it all displayed on the wall out there at his hunting lodge. Mm-hmm. Now Piney Woods runs. You know, they do quail hunts, and that's where they really talking really about started. pointers mostly. Yeah, or bird, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was gonna. They started with it's quail same hunts. thing though. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's all the same thing. The lineage and it, this hunting this and, and it says on the pedigree. You know, blue collar this or, or yeah, blue ribbon this. Sire, that, yeah. yeah, damn all that all down through there to where who owned what mm-hmm. and bred with who and. I, I was standing there. I, did, I was there for a solid 30 minutes one day just reading through that. It's really neat to look at. Oh, yeah, and I study it, and I look back at some of my own good personal dogs, and I look four or five generations back, and especially in Boykins. Boykins is, still have a pretty shallow uh, gene pool compared to a lab. You know, there's thousands and thousands of great labs and so many different lines of labs because they're just an older breed. But the Boykins gene pool is a little bit smaller, and so you can look back, and I can – you know, I can look back five generations on these dogs, and I'm finding these common denominators that were there, and it's pretty interesting to me to see what they're producing and 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 how they're producing. And you know, we're we've been lucky to we own a dog now. He's going to be 11 in April. This is he's retiring after this year of of competitions. Named Buck, and Buck is the top producing stud of all time in Boykins, and he's produced more titled you know offspring than any of them. Um, and I look back on his pedigrees and I see some of the great Boykins of all time in these trials and hunt tests because Boykins have their own trial uh, program too where it's dog against dog and and to look back and see some of the old national champions that were in the pedigrees and you know is it is it because the people that spend the money on these dogs want those types of titles and so they send them off to a good trainer and they get the stuff and then the guy that maybe was looking for a $1,200 puppy, you know, and was going to do it himself and didn't really do as much as maybe someone like I would do because that's our job and we do it every day. You know, is that why my dog was better? It could be because there's a lot of great dogs out there that weren't trained to their potential or were trained to what the owner wanted. You know, some guys just want a good dove dog and they still buy, you know, a good, you know, a, a great pedigree to become that good dove dog. I like watching Jordan's dog, little brown water dog, goes out there, chases everything. In fact, we've seen, <clears throat> in addition to ducks, that dog is... Retrieved pheasants, squirrels, doves. I don't know what it is. I have spent a ton of time with her working for ducks, but that dog just has a complete anger within her heart for doves. I mean, she... That's their man. That boykin loves the dove hunt. Yeah, she. I mean, that's just their deal. I, I have seen. I've I've taken her to a few dove hunts, and you'll see like people wound one and it'll land and try to fly, and then people have been like, "Dude, your your dog hates doves." No, like yeah. she she <laughs> would like snatch yeah, them out of yeah. the air. Yeah, that, but but I didn't have pheasants. She'll go get them. She doesn't like. She'll pheasants. put it up, but when she brings it back, it's kind of like get this thing out of my mouth. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she, she, <laughs> we took her. We took her to a tire shoot at Piney Woods, and she was actually going out, having to retrieve pheasants out of the water because they're flying over a yeah. pond. She would bring them back to the bank, and she's like, Bleh, "I don't want it anywhere near." <laughs> yeah, like, but this, you know, this don't taste right. <laughs> I've got, I've got old pictures of that one that I said was so good that that died. He died of cancer when he was about, I think he was six when he died. And but I've got pictures of old hunts with him. You know, dragging a giant Canada goose back up on a dog stand and him just, you know, reared back trying to pull that thing up and doing everything he could. Big swamp rabbits, you know, that we just happened to jump, you know, in the swamp that morning. We killed it and he'd, you know, bust through whatever to bring back this swamp rabbit or squirrel. He loved retrieve squirrels. I took him squirrel hunting all the time. I would just sit, in, you know, at the base of a tree with a 22, shoot him. He'd go get him, bring him back. If they were alive, Man, the fight was on. It was like a oh, coon yeah. dog, you know, fighting a coon. Yeah. Um, I had this old, it was a Dodge Raider. You probably, I don't know if you ever heard of them. They only made them for Hell three years. Yeah. All right. They made them in 88 and 89 and 90, I think, or 88 and 89. But I had one. It was like the tank of Suzuki Samurais. I mean, it was, it was a badass <laughs> little rig. And so I would ride around with it, and this dog would ride in the back seat, and I'd have the little side windows open, and we'd shoot 22s out of the truck on our farm shoot squirrels with 22 and he'd jump out of the side of the ranger or the raider go get it and i'd kick the door open he'd jump back in with a squirrel and i'd never have to get out it was perfect but he <laughs> loved to retrieve squirrels that may be illegal now i don't know but it was fun it was I don't know, she fun. got in a, she got in a serious tussle with a squirrel this last season because it it had shot and it was still alive but it hit the ground and she got it and her and that squirrel went at it and the squirrel ended up getting a hold of like the side of her face <laughs> And it just wouldn't let go. Like, she even let go of it when I told her to let go. That thing did not want to let go of her face. I had to grab its head and snap it to get it let go of her. Yeah. We had to put an orange be- an orange vest on Belle because she wants to... You get her squirrel hunting, and she's so friendly to everybody. You have to delineate that brown dog from any other brown thing charging <laughs> yeah. through the woods because she's so excited about getting out there. It, it, it really works in our favor when you're hunting squirrels because she'll roam out in front of you and move mm-hmm. around trees and stuff, and she'll push squirrels back to your side of the tree. Well, this one I had, he would tree a squirrel, and he, w- he wouldn't stay on it barking like a, squir- like a feist would or something, but he would bark enough you know, two or three times for you to know, oh, shit, he's down there. Yeah. And we'd go down there, and he would be on that tree. He wouldn't come off the tree, and he wouldn't stay barking, but he would bark a couple times when it, when it went up the tree just because he was pissed off because he couldn't get it. Um, but, no, nah, he was a pretty fun little dog. And, there, you know, that was part of the allure of the Boykin Spans for a lot of people is the versatility of them. Right. And just, you know, they're great flushing dogs for upland, for quail, and a lot of these plantations now are using them as flushing dogs behind their pointers. I've trained a few to do that. Um, I trained, trained one for a family. They had thousands and thousands of private uh, quail habitat in South Georgia, and they hunted off a horse and buggy. And so they had great pointers, but they wanted, you know, and it was more for the allure of it and just to add something cool to their hunt. Um, but they wanted a Boykin that would ride on the back of that buggy, and when the pointers locked up, they wouldn't even get the Boykin out to flush it. They would kick the birds up, shoot them, and they wanted to be able to blow their whistle. That dog would run out of the buggy and just run over there and hunt dead and find that quail for him and give it to him. Then they could give it a command and run back up in the buggy. And so I had sold him a started dog. Well, it was she was a she had a seasoned uh, retriever title. She was a dang good little dog, and drove it down to him. This guy was you know had considerably more money than I do. He said, "Well, I'll give you this much if you'll just drive her down here." I was like, "All right, yeah, I'm in." And so I'd ride her down there. He says, all right, show me what she can do. 
And so I showed her, showed him the retrieving work, the duck hunting work that I trained it to do. And he said, well, if I put a quail out in that corn, that standing corn over there and, and she didn't see where it was, could she go get it? I said, yeah. So he said, all right. So he had a son went over there and put a quail out in the, in the cornfield. And I knew, you know, which, you know, part of the cover it was in. I lined her up. I said, back. And I blew whistles and handed her over to the bird like you were running a blind. Picked it up. I said, there you go. He said, no, nah, I don't want to do it like that. I just want to call them out of the buggy and tell them to hunt dead. And they run over there and find it. I said, so you just no control? No, I just, I just want them to go find it. I said, okay. He said, can you do that? I said, yeah. I said, I'll take it back home with me and I'll call you when it's done. And so I would take the dog. I would put her in a crate on the back of my side by side. I'd ride around the field and I'd drop birds in different pieces of cover and get out. I'd shoot a gun a couple times and then I'd drive off and I'd let her out. And I went from using the command back to get her to take off in a straight line where I needed to go to hunt dead. Cause that's what he wanted to be able to say, hunt dead. And she'd go get the birds. And so I told her to hunt dead and she'd go out a little bit. And she was like, aren't you going to tell me where to go? And I just like, hunt dead, hunt dead, or I'd say back, hunt dead. <laughs> and try to make that, you know, that term interchangeable. And about three weeks later, shoot, you could drop birds anywhere you want in that field, turn that little bitch loose, and she'd go find them. So I called him. I said, all right, sir, she's ready. And he sent his son up there, and I showed him, you know, you know, the dog doing it and sent her home. He called me that next season and said, man, I got about five or six guys in our group that want one. He said, can you get me some more? I said, yes, sir. So, I mean, they use it for all sorts of things. And now, I don't upland hunt, but, you know, if someone wants to pay that much to, to get a dog to hunt dead and go pick up the quail, yeah, we're your man. Dude, I, I tell you, that is – that is such an invaluable talent. Our friend Brian Irish's dog. Oh, no He's kidding. a V-slug. Yeah. And um, um, Murphy, Murphy will hunt dead just 15, 20 minutes. Look, you know, we, usually, usually if Murphy can't find that bird in 15 minutes. It ain't there. Yeah, or yeah, so, yeah, or you know, and and that's the well, that dog will keep looking. We get bored and like, come on. Let, let, <laughs> you know? let me tell you, we were out snipe hunting, and we took Murph back over to where we shot a snipe, and had him hunt, and he found the bird that we couldn't find. Mm-hmm. Yeah, snipe. And this this was twenty or thirty find. minutes. Oh yeah, after they we don't shot have him. any smell to them hardly. Yeah, yeah. But he found and that. It's bird. always in mud. In yeah, Barbie. yeah, yeah. Murph's a. Murph is the man. Oh no, dog. He does cool, all man. Those, yeah. He does all the NABDA trials and everything yeah. with Murph though. You know, I think, and I, I, Brian's not here, but you know, he's got the Jaeger, who's a German short hair, and I think Jaeger's a great dog too. But you know, I think Brian, you know, you just you ask him like, "Hey man, how's Jaeger?" And he's like, "Well, <laughs> the problem is he's got Murph." Yeah. Right, and, and Murphy was Brian's first dog, and he happened to just get a truly gifted dog. Right. And uh, I think it's going to be one of those things that forever he's going to be looking like trying to find another Murphy is going to be yeah. going to be tough. You know? I, don't, tough. I don't know that you can ever find a better dog than your first bird dog. I like that look on Blaine's face. You know, I get it. it. Well, and there, I think it's more emotional. I say there's it's, there's it's, an emotional it's an emotion to it and sentimental value attached to it. Right. And, whether that the the next dog you get does it better than the first dog, they don't do it the same. Yeah, and to oh, yeah, you absolutely. to a person that means well, something. Well, you right? know that that dog that died of cancer to me, he was the best hunting dog I ever had. Right, because he could you could not hide a duck from that dog. You know, in Georgia, our duck hunting sucks. You know, it's not good, especially in North Georgia. 
Now, we kill some birds, and we have to work our butts off to do it, but we'll kill some birds. But there's a reason why we drive to Arkansas, you know, 35, 40 times a year and, and hunt out there. Um, but we would hunt, and that dog, you know, most of the hunts would be wood duck hunts in a little timber hole, and they're coming in at dark 30 still. And even if it's legal shooting time, half the time dogs can't see the birds, and they're just, you're hearing them whistle, you shoot, they, they hear splashes. Well, this, we could shoot four limits of wood ducks, and I would never, I just, the dog would just stay on the stand until we were done shooting, and I'd call his name, and that sucker would just go find ducks. I wouldn't have to handle them to him. I wouldn't, he just knew where they were. He knew how to dig them out. He would, I saw him one time, we killed a, a mallard, and we were hunting this little, I don't, it was, it was kind of a strange little cow pond in the middle of some woods, and we shot a hen mallard, and it sailed across the pond and landed right on the edge, and it was still, it was still swimming. We sent him after it. Well, the duck dove about 10 feet before he got to it, and it wet up underneath the bank. Well, I didn't know, I didn't know the, the bank was cut like that. And so I walked around. I was like, I don't know, you know, where the hell did that duck go? And saw where it was, you know, a tunnel pretty much under the ground from this big pine tree, and the roots had kind of created this tunnel over the years. And I could hear the duck, you know, a good five yards under, you know, away from the water. And I could hear it splashing and, you know, quacking. And so Drake heard it. He dives under and he goes in that daggum hole. And now I'm like, shoot, how am I going to get my dog out if he doesn't, you know, if he gets in here stuck? Well, whenever he would see, if there was a wounded duck and he saw it, he would be, he'd start barking as he was swimming after it. Well, when he gets in there, I could hear him barking. And I mean, he's under the ground. I'm like, kind of nervous, but like, this is badass. If he comes out with this duck, this is badass. Well, 10 seconds later, he'd come out with that duck. And so he just had a certain grit to him, and he didn't care what it was. Now, Buck's a great hunting dog. Uh, I'm Right now, I'm hunting my wife's yellow lab. He's my full-time hunting dog, and he's a machine. You know, he's a big, strong powerhouse that, you know, I, you know a lot of people say, well, a boy can, can do everything a lab can do. Uh, they kind of can. You know, they can do these hunt tests like they can. You know, they can pass a hunt test just like a lab can pass a hunt test. But they ain't dragging back sandhill cranes. I was gonna say I'd like to see a boy. <laughs> they will drag back sandhill cranes. I got well, pictures I, to prove that. I, I, I uh, want to see wow. a boy can take on a wounded sandhill crane. You gotta put the goggles on them. I've seen them, they hate them. They'll fight them just like they will a goose. Uh, fair um, enough. So but <laughs> do they hit them like linebackers? Like I've seen labs where Oh yeah. They, they don't break stride, man. It's oh, like I've seen them that hit, lot. hit giant Canadas and, and I mean just linebacker, man. It's it's pretty cool. But um, you know, Kenny, my wife's dog. That's so he's just a he's a powerhouse. He's like he's like an NFL linebacker compared to the Boykin who's, you know, the middle school linebacker. You know, yeah. he does his job yeah. in that, you know, in that group. But if I'm on a, you know, a giant rice field in Arkansas and we've got 10, 10 guns in a pit and we kill, you know, 60 ducks that morning and a handful of, of geese and there's a 30 mile an hour wind and them ducks are sailing 300 yards across that field if kenny sees it he's going to get it if he doesn't see it i can say back and that sucker runs straight as an arrow until he hits that bird or until i stop him and, and get him to change directions and he's fast you know a lab's running in those rice field waters because there's you know they're tall enough well boykin's got to swim well their little legs can only swim them so fast <laughs> the fastest boykins still you know aren't as you know going to be as fast as that lab who can run on that and just get it done quicker and so um you know buck has Buck's got me invites on good duck hunts in Arkansas before because he was such a good hunting dog in his prime. 
Um, and he's gotten it done. The only I've seen him tired one time, and this has been four or five years ago. And this is, you know, he was a five-year-old dog, a really well-trained, um, big motor Boykin. And so a buddy of mine in another duck club calls me one night. He says, y'all on ducks. You gonna you, you know, you got a good place to hunt in the morning. I was like, well, not really. I said, we've got a few, but we're going to have to work at it to kill a limit. And he said, do you have a buck with you? I said, yeah, why? He said, well, there's a, uh, a lawyer from Memphis hunting with us as a guest this weekend. And he's heard about buck and he's wanting to get a boykin and he wants to see buck hunt. And I said, all right, is this an invite? He said, yeah. He said, we got a, a sled blind over here that, they didn't plant this field this year, just kind of grew, you know, regrew back up with rice and millet and just nasty. And he said, the ducks are just thick in there. He said, we're going to, we're going to pack as many people we can in this blind, but we need a better dog. The dog we got is pretty much if they fall in the decoys, he can get it. And this guy wants to see buck. I said, I'm in. So we went that next, we had 11 guns in that blind and it was cold, really cold and really windy. And I didn't, I didn't bring a vest that trip because I just didn't think about packing it. And Buck was pretty tough um, back in his day, and he had a real thick curly coat, which I think helped a lot too. Um, but we killed 66 ducks that morning uh, over him and a couple specks. And the last duck was a Drake pintail, and it sailed a long ways. And I videoed it four or five phones ago. I don't know if I could ever find the video again, but um, I videoed it, and it took him – well, I didn't video him getting the duck. I videoed him on the way back because he started out, he saw it drop and he, it was probably 250 yards across that rice field with pretty much white caps in that field. The wind was blowing so hard and he gets about three quarters of the way to it and he was kind of lost. He didn't know where the hell he was. So I had to start handling him and got him to the bird and I started videoing from that point. It took him 10 minutes to swim back. He was so tired and it was just windy and pounding, you know, on him. He gets back up on the side of the blind there's a little muddy spot and just just spits the duck out and just lays down and just like rolling in the briars trying to warm up and i mean he was he was cold and tired 66 ducks you know in one yeah. morning in 20 degree weather with a high wind and so you know they can do it now if i had kenny it would have been done in half the time you yeah know? so they can do it they're just physically they're not you know, they're not as athletic and it's yeah, not I mean, as big. I mean, they're they're just, big, they can't yeah. help it, but they, you know, these good ones, they're going to try. And that's all I care about. Will but they go do it? That is the definition of a working dog. Right. Sit tight. We'll be right back with a word from our sponsors. As we move through life, it's inevitable that we're going to find ourselves needing trusted advice from legal counsel. From business transactions to real estate, lawsuits to contract matters, we all need advice and assistance from time to time. Attorney Roman Hammis' multi-state law practice focuses on litigation, business law, and real estate. Roman helps individuals and business owners find solutions to their legal problems. If push comes to shove, Roman is an experienced litigator with extensive trial experience and the ability to take it all the way. He's been named Super Lawyer every year from 2016 to present, a distinction given to only 5% of practicing lawyers. Most importantly, Roman is an avid hunter, angler, conservationist, and proud supporter of the UPO Nation. When you need dependable legal counsel, call Roman, 407-680-6050, Eight four three three two four one seven two seven, or email Roman 
at romanvhamas.com. That's R-O-M-A-N at R-O-M-A-N-V-H-A-M-M-E-S dot com. Offices Florida and South Carolina. Whereabouts are you hunting in Arkansas? Are you up around the north, uh, the northeast end? Um, we are about twenty miles way. south of Jonesboro, so we're no, more further so, north. Oh, north, yeah, that's right. Um, and so we're in a little town called Cash, right on the Cash River, and we've okay. got fields all along the river. Um, and you know, you can be in Arkansas, and you you know, you read on Facebook how oh, Arkansas sucks. It's not as good as it used to be. It's better out further west. Well, it depends where you are. You know, we're in a good flyway in the flyway in Arkansas where we're on the Cache River. And we've got timber that'll flood every year as soon as the river gets out. And it's, you know, we had a you know pretty good season. I spent, I didn't spend as much time there as I wanted to this year. I spent the first 12 days in Arkansas of duck season. And I trained a dog, a Boykin, for an outfitter in Texas and carried his, his Boykin with it. It was going to be his first season hunt. And he told, asked me if I wanted to come out and hunt. And I was like, yeah, okay. And so I went out and hunted in Texas, and I, I tell you, boys, that was the finest duck hunting I've ever been around in my life. And I used to hunt up in northern Saskatchewan every year and hunted all over the place. You were, you were in Texas? Texas, right on where the panhandle is, just east yep. on the east side on the Oklahoma border. It was badass. Jordan's hunting up there. Yeah, is that right around Lubbock right there? Well, we, we, we were up. Um... I think Lubbock's south. No, we we were we were uh, we were around Wichita Falls. We were right yeah, on so the we border. Were, we of were west of there, but yeah. yeah, we hunted up there. We were actually supposed to be up there hunting geese and things, but we killed in fields. Yeah, most of it's dry field hunting. We smashed pintails, man. Smashed. Oh, yeah. pintails, mallards. No, I wasn't on that trip. That wouldn't. No, I saw more witch than I've ever were, seen in my life. Always shot cranes and geese. Oh, you're right. You weren't. And then you shot that, or you somebody shot that Pacific Brant. I got the Brant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. That was fun. It was amazing. We, it rained. What are you gonna do that? I'm gonna eat it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll trade you goose. It rained they, real good one day did, while we were there. Giving them that brand so they could. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's it's mostly dry field. But we had gotten a big rain while I was up there, and it doesn't rain much there. Oh. And you know, it put a couple little pieces of sheet water in some of these freshly drilled uh, wheat fields. And me and the owner of of the outfitter, we were out riding around scouting, and tons of ducks in this little bitty water hole. You know about the size of this house and right up against the county road but he, he that ranch was part of the places he could hunt and he said that's where we're hunting on our buddy hunt this sunday and so we we put uh, layout blinds on the edge of the road on the fence and in one volley killed 23 widgeon jesus I mean, just full of widgeon coming Lord. in i mean it was it yeah. was sick well, we had great duck hunts great goose hunts great crane hunts i tell you you know we talked about all these hunts all over and you live in georgia we put in for a hunt every year in georgia that i was we gonna draw say it next year listen i when i told him because yeah the first time i messaged him i was like yeah we just got back from a trip at duck hunting in georgia and he's like Duck hunting in Florida must really fucking suck if you're going to Georgia. <laughs> I was going to say, like, where were y'all hunting? What was the hunt? Well, we'll talk about that later. Okay. But <laughs> we would we would love to have you there and to come. If we draw it next year, you can take two gifts. All right. And when, when you get, I'm bringing my dog. Next you're drawing impoundments, right? So it, one whoever got the permit is it in South Georgia mm-hmm. around Valdosta area? No. Southeast, southeast. Uh, 
you, you, you don't get, want to mention the name sitting on it. You got your Gizbot thing. Just cut it out. You can talk to me later. It's uh, Skeeter Pond. Which is yeah. bar, where the Altamaha meets. I know, I, know, I, know, yeah. I know what you're talking about now. But one impoundment. Uh, each each person who draws it gets one impoundment. They get two guests. So you get a whole impoundment with three people in it if you bring two guests. Well, call me if I'm in town. We're going. It would say, yeah. dude, we had, I mean, granted, we, we got a shit impoundment and we biffed on a lot of birds. But we had, dang, spoonies, redheads, I mean, mallards. Just a complete... Teal. I, yeah. killed, teal. I killed a beautiful, oh, a, a yeah. beautiful green wing. This is the funny part about that green wing teal I shot. Is Jordan, uh, like, I'm I'm kind of like half stood it was a up spoonie. looking. It was a good spoonie that flew over you. And I, I'm I'm looking, and Jordan's like, get down, get down, get down. And I went, wham! And he said, what was that? I said, I just shot a bird in the decoys. That teal just landed, and the water whacked him around the decoys. <laughs> the most beautiful stud green wing teal I've ever seen. Sweet. So hopefully we'll get him out. He's in the freezer. He's ready to get mounted. It's absolutely gorgeous bird, uh, but you know he landed right in the teal decoys, like yeah. he should have. It was it was a beautiful day for a very nice mixed bag. We just there there was something biffed on something picked up north of that place and blacked the sky, and then said we're Black headed birds. west. Yeah, the the problem with the impoundment we got is because I, I yeah so I let me drew tell this, you about yeah. hang on let me tell you about this impoundment. <laughs> When Jordan drew the impoundment, the guy next to Jordan said, good luck. And Jordan's like, well, the guy said good luck. I said, did he mean it like good luck as <laughs> yeah. he screwed? Yeah, yeah man, you're going to kill some birds. Good luck this morning. That's he the way like, he meant it. Good luck killing birds. And I think it was more of a good luck killing birds uh, type of good luck. But, at least yeah. you got some. Yeah. yeah, It was tough, man. Did you have your dog? No, I didn't. Cause Why? We were staying in my tent, and there was already three of us in my tent. He can't stay and, in the truck. She could have, I guess. Yeah, but. She'll sleep in the tent next year. Keep us warm. Yeah, she's she slept. She can in, do she, it. Yeah, she slept in the tent with us a few weekend or next weekend after that. But, um, the where was I? I you you didn't bring the dog because oh, but no. The thing with that impoundment was I drew it, and then I was like, he said good luck, and I told him, yeah, it's good shit. Turns out we get into the impoundment. And I'm trying to use Onyx, and I'm like, well, sh- this is where we need to be. But it turns out that I forget that they change the way they, like, clear the impoundments year to year. Mm-hmm. So what I have on Onyx is not what they cleared this year. We find the hole. We get in it. We get set up. Sun starts to come up, and the Ooh. dang, like, cattails in it Or if you're standing up, they're maybe waist high. So when you sit down on, like, a marsh stool. <laughs> I'm sitting on a marsh yeah. stool laying like this. Yeah, you're sitting on a marsh stool. They're like the the cattails stop at like your titties. So and that is the whole entire impoundment's like that. So there was no literally cover. no way for us to hide ourselves. You need, you need a ghillie. Well, I didn't know. Yeah, you just didn't know. So yeah. you're, you know, you're pulling up. You're they're taking you out on a on a hay trailer, right? And you're sitting on a bench right in the middle of a hay trailer. And then you get off, and they're like, "Does your John boat have two paddles and a plug?" You're like, "Yes." And then you jump in your John boat, paddle across the rim ditch, and then you walk from there. I've heard lots of stories of it. It's, it's fun, man. I, oh, yeah. I got, it's, a, yeah. it's different. It's a good experience. I mean, I got it one year. I'd or, rather go to cash. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. One of we, our buddies got it one year, and then we hunted it, and it was, I just had fun. Yeah. And I told I, I told William and all them this year, it's like, everybody needs to put in for it. We put in for it. I got it. And I was like, let's go up. And then, like, William's buddy drove from Kentucky. Uh, but it was more so, like, 
we hang out with buddies yeah. and go camping. Yeah, we well, had a so, buddy that lived in South. So Georgia. the guy, the guy that the guy that drove from Kentucky, we hunted together when I lived in Georgia, in Southeast Georgia. And uh, not only did we hunt that spot, we hunted one of our old wood duck holes. And you can sit in that wood duck hole, and no lie, hundred wood ducks is that oh, crazy? Easy. It, yeah, they're mm-hmm. everywhere there. The problem is, if you're not exactly. the only one there, yeah. yeah, it's going to be some sky blast shooting because they're going to shoot them. And we saw that the first morning; it was it wasn't bad. The Sunday morning after the hunt, somebody else was before the roost and started before they got to us and started shooting before daylight, and everything was sky high. Now, if we'd have sat in those in those uh, scaffolding, though, it would have been so bad. <laughs> <laughs> is the only time that you've hunted in Texas the one, the one you were mentioning when you're on Wichita yeah. Falls? No. I was going to say, if you, I would encourage you to keep going back, and especially if you like hunting the big birds, the geese, and the and the, uh, the, cranes, the cranes are probably the, the most that fun Lubbock area. Oh yeah, it's loaded, man. Well, loaded. I don't know if you can get any more loaded. I mean, it was it was fun. It was. He's got so many ranches tied up. He's got thousands and thousands of acres of ranches because his daddy lived there, his granddaddy lived there. They know all the ranchers, and he's probably pissed off, you know, 80% of the guys in the area because he's got the thing locked down and in Oklahoma and in Texas. And so we went duck hunting in Oklahoma one morning, waxed our asses in a little pothole, went up there crane hunting a couple times, and, I mean, birds were everywhere. And those guys, you know – I give a shameless plug to them, Dry Creek Outfitters. I'd never hunted with an outfitter before. We'd always, you know, been on our own, you know, club and hunted on our own or hunted public. And um, you hear all the horror stories of guide services and getting screwed and just not, you know, a good experience. Now, you can't control birds being there or not being there. But the, he has three guides that work for him. He hunts a little bit, but he he loves to scout. And so every morning, the guides, you know, two of the guides are taking out groups to hunt. One guide and him are split up scouting until noon. And, I mean, he rides the roads. I don't want to know his diesel fuel uh, at the end of duck season because, I mean, those suckers, and they've got hundreds of miles to cover to find where they're going to hunt tomorrow. And after the hunt, they get done, they clean the birds for the clients, get a little lunch break, and then all four of them split up, and they scout till dark until, you know, they put birds to roost and they know exactly, all right, this is where we need to hunt tomorrow morning. And they get together at that uh, shop that night and they come up with a plan on who's hunting and what they're hunting and sometimes the clients come in and you know a group like man we're, we we come here to shoot cranes you know that's what we want to hunt and he's got to explain to them you know well look we've got some cranes in a field it's the wrong wind to kill them he said we can try it or if you all want to go kill you know 11 limits of of geese and ducks we can go do that and it's going to be a lot easier and so he's like, well, we kind of thought we were on a crane hunt. He said, no, when you, when you signed up for this, you signed up for a waterfowl hunt. <laughs> now, if you're hell-bent on going for the cranes this morning, fine. And they were. They didn't have a great hunt. The other group killed 108 ducks and geese. And, you know, obviously we're, you know, pretty excited about life. Well, the next morning, those, it was a group of older Texans from Dallas. And I, hunted, I helped the guide that next morning because they found a load of cranes coming in a spot, but it was just going to be hard to get to. It was about a 20-minute side-by-side ride to get to where you were going. And you had to, you know, a crane decoy is not, you know, you're not throwing two no. dozen crane yeah, decoys in a bag and, and carrying them over. <laughs> yeah. It took two loads, two trips just to get the decoys out. We had to put up a big enough A-frame to house these 10 Texans, me and the other guide. 
and brush that thing in. I mean, we start at four o'clock setting the saw up, yep. send them a pin. They meet us at the pin. We have to carry it. It takes two loads to carry them back there to the blind and it's breaking daylight good. And me and the guide are out there readjusting the decoys and they're kind of standing in there and they'd already had kind of, they didn't have a bad experience the day before, but it wasn't what they were hoping for. And yeah, I could, I can kind of hear grumbling. And this guide was a very good, you know, waterfowl guide. And, but he was a younger guy and he didn't really know how to, you know, those guys just needed their balls busted a little bit, you know, and they needed someone to kind of give them back the shit he was giving that guide. And so I went over there and kind of just started messing with them a little bit. And I knew the guy that had scouted the day before told me, he said, those birds aren't going to be there till about eight. And I said, okay. And it's because these guys are all standing up in the A-frames like, man, it's shooting light. You know, we ain't seen nothing. Where are the birds And I said, boys, yeah. I said, just settle down. You know, drink okay. you some coffee. It's Take all going to be handled. Yeah. And so, they had a damn hunt of their lifetime. They, everybody killed lemons and cranes. For, for anybody listens, if you've hunted, if you've gone on waterfowl or outfitted waterfowl hunts, you know, you basically show up and, you know, the, the guide goes out and lays out all the... I think decoys we actually helped them laid all their decoys. Well, I was going to say that when you when you go out on a crane hunt or on one of these really big goose hunts, um, bring your work boots, boys, because there's no way a guide could possibly put out all those cranes no. by himself. Or else. You're talking, I mean. Especially one, for picking come, up and helping clean up. You're talking yeah. horse trailers, slap full of decoys and these big spreads, and you have to have them because, especially with the cranes, they'll start playing follow the leader. So if you don't have a massive spread, and three fields over, some cranes set down. Because I've had it happen. You'll just watch them all pour into the oh, other yeah. field. But if you've got a massive spread and the cranes come over and hover and you get a couple of them start dropping in and you can see the other cranes coming from just godly distance away, they're all watching each other and they're all coming to the same place. And when you get them coming into your area, um, there, there's just there's just nothing better than oh yeah there's nothing like watching them things put their feet I was down say, and, the, and the thing that blew my mind about hunting out there in texas and cranes and geese was that like here in florida if you don't get to the to the water by like three o'clock or four o'clock and three get out hours there, before yeah. sunrise yeah, oh, and yeah. It get set up and then you get your spot and then the ducks may come in a little bit before sunlight most of the time they come in right at but when we were out there in Texas, it was like the sun was already cracking and you could see pretty well and everything. Mm-hmm. You're still setting up decoys. And you're like, what the hell? Yeah, you're like, what the hell are we doing? No, they well, and that's why it is. And any of the fly in Arkansas, you know, those rice fields freeze really easily. So you get a cold night, a couple nights in a row, and it's ice out there. Well, ducks aren't landing in the ice, boys. They're going to stay in the river. But in the afternoons, a little hole's going to thaw. And ducks. Feed and move all day. They were just bouncing back, trading different fields. And, you know, a lot of times, in the, even in the early season this year, in the first split, we had a couple mornings where it locked up everything. And, you know, some of the guys in the club were going to go out there and open up holes and, and try to hunt. And I was like, I found some ducks on the field. I told two young guys, I said, we ain't getting up tomorrow morning. We're going to go out about 2 o'clock and kill our limits of ducks. And we did. 2 o'clock, shoot ducks, we are done by 3. And so it's a different world than what we're used to. So I want to jump back into the dog training aspect and, and let, let's say I just got my first duck dog. We're going to exclude a breed from this. What are the first things as a puppy I need to start working with, with this dog? Well, the first thing you need to do is you subscribe to the Brown Dog Academy. 
Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shameless. You go on there. He's got a, uh, what's it, a Patreon. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I can explain that when we get done, I guess. But, you know, you, you want to start, you know, get your puppy home. And there's, you know, socialization is important. Introducing it to new things and getting it out in the water, depending on the time of year and where you live and getting it swimming and trying to put live birds. A live pigeon is the greatest thing in the world. For, it doesn't matter what breed it is, but get some live pigeons and, you know, you don't have to clip wings. If you just pull the long feathers out of one wing, then the suckers can't fly. Now, don't pull them out of both sides because they're bounced back up again. They can fly off, but pull the wing, the feathers out of one wing and you know, throw it on the ground and get that puppy's prey drive built up and, you know, just start introducing it to all these things that, you know, it's going to see. And you don't, you know, you don't want a puppy to be a year old before it's seen a bird or, yeah. you know, before it's had a chance to, to play with a bird and be around a bird or be in the water. Um, you want to introduce it to all these things. And I go through that, you know, step by step um, from eight weeks old, everything that I do with a puppy to get it ready to start formal training in eight or 10 months old. Um, when I think they're ready to handle pressure and ready to go through force fetch and go through, you know, all the things that, you know, a dog needs to mature a little bit before they do. But, you know, there's, I can tell a huge difference. And, um, this program is paying dividends for me as a trainer. Um, and for other trainers that I know who people are, and it does, you don't have to have a boy and it's, you know, I, I marketed it towards Boykin people uh, from the beginning, but it's the same thing I do with any dog. Um, but I've had buddies that are trainers just this week. A guy in South Carolina is good friends with me, and um, I actually sent him the dog. I didn't have space for it, but I said, hey, call this guy. He's closer to you anyway. And the guy had been following Brown Dog Academy on Patreon, and my buddy Oliver got the dog, and he's, he called me after a week. He said, man, this guy, this dog's, you know, ready to – ready to really to start training and do it right. He said, I can tell this guy did the right things with this dog as a puppy. And so that was my goal with it. Cause I get, if someone calls me now and says, Hey, I'm getting a puppy from so-and-so, but I want to bring them to you for formal training. What do you want me to do with it till, you know, that six or eight month old, you know, age when I want to get it. I say, look, five bucks a month, do everything I did with my puppy. And if you bring me that dog, it's going to go easier for the dog and for me and probably be quicker for you. You know, to, to make a good basic duck dog, I tell people I want the dog for six months. If you give me six months, I'm going to have a very well-behaved dog that's steady, that's been shot over, that's gotten ducks every day of the week for retrieves, that understands how to hunt off a dog stand, that understands how to hunt out of a Momar's blind that will lay next to you in a layout blind. You tell me how you hunt and where you hunt, and I will make sure that dog is prepared to do it. It's able to pick up multiples, so you and your buddy, you know, your three buddies all kill a duck on a volley. He's going to be able to mark those three birds and go get them. He'll be able to run a simple blind. He's not going to be able to run a master-level blind in six months, but he'll be able to run one serviceable enough to pick up your ducks in a hunt. And so, But it's just about introducing all those little things as a puppy and then when I'm training them for that, you know, for a good gun dog program, I want to make sure if, you know, I had a client in from Tallahassee area that hunts a lot of marsh hens off the front of his boat. You know, I guess he's just trolling motor around or push pulling. I don't know how he does it. Marsh hens are, or more hens. No, no, no. Marsh no. hens or more hens are two separate things. Oh, different. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
Marchands, you're going to troll, troll him around. He's hunting Soros and things like yeah. that. Yeah. And yeah. so, but he would, so he wanted his boy can sit on the front of the boat and they'd kill him and he'd jump off the boat and go get him. So I said, well, I, I can kind of simulate that. I mean, I've built ponds and stuff for any type of hunting scenario you're going to see. I've got a little a little pond right between my house and my kennel that's at, that we left all the trees standing in it when we built it and flooded it. So now it looks like you're hunting, you know, a timber hunt in Arkansas. And we can put a dog stand on the tree right here and set it right there, and we can walk on the other side, and we can throw birds and shoot guns and, you know, send that dog for that bird. And I want it to be able to remotely go back over there. So he can bring me the bird, and I can say kennel, and he swims back over there and gets on that dog stand for the guy. And so we try to, you know, do – you know, I'm a duck hunter first. That's how I got into this. And I know what a duck dog ought to be able to do. And so it's, you know, you teach it the same basic principles. If you call me and say, I want a master hunter title dog, or I want a duck dog, those first six months are going to be pretty close to the same thing. The basics are basics. Now with that gun dog, I'm going to add, hey, let's put this dog in a boat. Hey, let's put this dog in a mutt hut. You know, let's shoot more live rounds and throw live ducks over its head and landing right in front of them and work on steadiness. Where those things I'm not going to do with the 72-year-old client I had who, who I have now who breeds labs, and she's never hunted a day in her life, and her dogs won't hunt unless I take them. But they're super good at what they do from a trial perspective and a hunt test perspective. But it wouldn't take but a couple hunting trips to turn that dog. And it'd be, you know, if you had that dog, all your buddies would want to hunt with you because yeah. your dog's good. Um, so it's the same basics, you know, it just turns a little bit different when you get through basics on with this gun dog, we got to make sure all these little hunting things are, are good. But with this competitive dog, you know, we need something different. And so it kind of splits off at that point. And I, I try to talk everybody into it. You know, my goal is to get everybody having a master hunter. And so I want to talk them into saying, look, you got a great dog. It could do this stuff. Let's, you know, let's do this too. When it's not duck season. Yeah. So. I, t- I got I got a, is do you have is there a breed of dog that you find can really function in both worlds where it does upland and duck work well where you can actually teach that dog to find quail point but then is also a pretty good retriever when it comes to water work or is it really that's just asking a lot out of one dog that's asking a lot but That's what I figured. Yeah, especially the pointing part, you know, because, you know, and you'll see some lines of labs that people will market as pointing labs. Well, labs and boykins are not supposed to point. More flush. You know, a boykin's not supposed to point. That's a, a fault in the breeding and the upland competitions. If you point, you're out. You know, they want a dog that engages that cover and flushes that bird. So you can get a great mix with labs and boykins and you know probably other breeds too that can do great upland flushing work and retrieving work i'm not going to say there's not to do the pointing work i don't mess with pointers uh, of any kind and i don't do a lot of upland training to tell you the truth now i do it after you know if a guy wants you know an upland dog but he also wants a retriever hunt test dog i tell him well let's let's get your goals in the retriever hunt test game first and once we do that I can turn it into an upland dog in a month, you know, and, and you'll be ready to go. Because especially with a boykin, a boykin's natural desire is to quarter a field and find birds. Well, that, that, I mean, I'm trying to make them do the exact opposite. That's fair enough to ask of a of a because most of your pointing dogs are also not flushing, flushing dogs, right? Yeah, yeah, and and half of them don't even want to retrieve, right? You know, so 
it's a fine line. Now there's some breeds. Um, Drotars are one. I, I guess that's yeah, how you say yeah. it. Those things are. I've seen those some. Those things are mean. Well, I've seen GSPs. some badass ones. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. What you I'm know, saying. I've seen some pretty They're badass ones dog. that will point, that will duck hunt. I've never trained them. I don't take stuff like that for the most part aggressive in a good way not as yeah. aggressive as yeah, yeah, like yeah. yeah bite your kids but aggressive right. as in oh yeah they want, want to kill every stuff part of it yeah yeah, yeah. i mean that, they want to do that and um i don't mess with dogs like that our, you know 95 percent of our work is going to be retrieving work and, and waterfowl and, and test and trial work but i'll just say we we talked a little bit about like versatility and i get some people i think I'll start off with the, yeah the 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 thing that aggravates me the most about versatility versatility whatever physicality yeah but the thing that aggravates me the most about living where I do in Florida is that if I come across somebody and they're like oh my gosh you have a cocker spaniel and I'm like listen <laughs> <laughs> it's not a cocker spaniel but then people are like oh that's a duck dog and I'm like to be honest with you she does a little bit of everything like last couple years ago we hunted in georgia and i had woke up late we had a lease in georgia that had some flooded timber on it i woke up late and i didn't have time to like carry the dog stand set it up everything and i was like ah screw it yeah went and hunted killed a limit and uh and then i heard him shoot two separate deer and one had ran off and i have taken her quite a few times i'm like i know as soon as i let her out i let her out of the house her nose hits the ground right just just want to point out that we did not need yeah, we her didn't after need her, shooting yeah. shooting that deer with the six five creep more to find the deer because my But we were practicing. At, at that yeah. time it was practicing. He was four, five? My son followed the blood trail. Yeah. It, there was an obvious blood trail. But uh I was like, you know what, let me put her on it. And so we put her on this buck and it she took us straight to the buck. And then after that, we threw the buck in the ranger, drove down to the flooded timber because I'd watched them all get hung up and stuff. Yeah. And then she, from my hip, because I didn't really, I didn't have a stand or anything. From my hip, I'd point her out, tell her where it was, and retrieved all six ducks after having blood trailed that buck. And I was like, she's, I'm fairly versatile. For yeah, me. they are, and and all dogs can do that. Let me just putting them in the position to to do it. Now I yeah. think a boykin has a better, you know, nose uh, than most labs. And a lot of people don't know it, but it uh, has a lot to do with their ears and the hair on their ears. Really? Yeah, because that those big ears and that hair on the ears catches that scent, and it keeps it there in front of their face, right there, and kind of holds the scent in, and that's why they can scent things so much better. I'm not going to lie. I, 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 I was Look at bloodhounds. Bloodhounds have huge ears. I, yeah. I was blown away at how well, after with the, with the amount of time those ducks sat in the water, and then you took her down there, and you were able to just point her in the direction here, and she retrieved all those ducks, no problem. That's what you a duck dog does. What yeah, do you- I mean, that, that, but that. <laughs> so here's my question for you. Okay, I'm not going to name two people in particular, uh, but uh, you've got a duck dog that they're great duck dogs. You know, they love to retrieve ducks, um, but you're not the greatest shot in the world. And uh, maybe you don't kill everything you shoot at, and they uh, they whine a lot. One person in particular's dog whines a lot. Uh, mine will whine too. Not not. Well, I wouldn't re- specifically referring to you, Briar. <coughs> dog uh, doesn't whine much when I'm in the boat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it, Liberty, I'm gonna go, Briar. Ah, come on, he's not yeah. even here. 
I'm, I, it's his own fault. He should be here. Yeah, he should be. Liberty is a great dog, and she is deathly quiet as long as you're killing ducks. You miss once, and she will tell you about it. All right, hold on. For the I've next hunted. Hour. I've in Liberty's defense, I've hunted quite a bit with Liberty over the last couple of years, and she's matured quite a bit. And what I've also learned, especially if you're wood duck hunting, and you're out there, and all of a sudden Liberty just starts whining, and you're like. God, what in the world is she whining about? Pay attention, son, because there's a there is a dog in them weed. There is a bird in them weeds. The dog knows it's there, and the dog is basically saying, kill it. "When are you going to kill that bird?" Yeah. So I was saying, well, when we were in the timber in Georgia, and we weren't killing birds, my dad was over having the dogs there because Liberty was whining so much, but he was very thankful we brought him the next day. We actually killed a bunch of birds because she was just on point, just bam, 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 bringing birds back. If you, hunt with Liberty next season, you won't. If she starts whining, you better start looking for birds. She's no, I, I mean I, lo- I love Liberty to death. She's a great yeah. duck dog, but I got to give Briar a hard time because she is she's very vocal. Yeah. What yeah. do you do for a whining dog? That is so hard. It's hard to fix. Sometimes you don't. I think it's a genetic thing too. I mean, I know I she's whining. Some dogs are more vocal. She's whining because she's excited. Yeah. And she, impatient and that, not very well behaved. That, you that say, is, well, it's sitting. You know, you tell it to sit. Well, sit means sit and keep your damn mouth shut. Yeah. yeah. And our dog, Kenny, I hunted him a bunch. He didn't, he didn't whine at all. It didn't seem like in Arkansas. Didn't whine in Texas. I get back home. We go on a couple of hunts. And I don't know if it was the slowness of it compared to what we were doing or what, but that sucker was driving me nuts. And I just want to take the stock of my gun and hit him with it. I hate to hear it. I mean, I hate it. Um, you know, if it's a young dog that's doing it and it's, you know, first starting to hunt is really young. I say, stop hunting the dog, you know, wait till the dog grows up a little bit. Like you're saying, Liberty has kind of gotten better yeah, you much know, better. over the years. Oh, she, you know, she's coming on year but, three. Yeah, and I mean, there's a lot of, that's a big difference. Once a dog's hunted a couple years, it kind of gets it. But, man, I there was a guy in our, not in the club I'm in now, but I used to go as a guest at another club out there, and this dog was terrible. I mean, loud. Not just a little whimpering, but like screaming. And if ducks, you know, we're working a group of ducks, and, you know, we're trying to wait for them to get in the decoys. I mean, it's, it's spooking birds. It's making noise, and. You know, we've a number of times, you know, like, Scott, you're going to have to take your dog back to the truck, man. This is stupid. (laughs) We've got quiet dogs sitting here. Take your dog and go tie it up at the truck or something. Drown it. We don't want to hear this anymore. (laughs) I don't want to. You know, I'm around dogs all the time. When I go hunting, if I invite a a buddy to go hunting and he says, you want me to bring my dog? I'm like, nah, I'm good. I got a dog. We're not. I ain't going duck hunting to train a dog. I'm going duck hunting to kill ducks. And, you know, I'm going to take an older, more experienced dog. I don't typically take, you know, Kenny, this is what was his second season. And, I mean, he's probably picked up close to a 1,000 birds already. And But I didn't hunt him a bit till he was already Master Hunter title dog. And I knew he had all the tools to learn to be a good duck dog. He just needed to see birds flying and dying that way, you know, other than someone throwing one out in the field. And so it took him a, two or three good hunts. And got it going on. You know, I was chatting about the dogs, and, and we talked about problem dogs. But I, I don't, having I'll, had the 
I want to clarify, Liberty is not a problem, dog. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. And I mean, neither is talk Bell. About Poor Liberty. Some of the more, fr- you know, you've had frustrating things, but when you've had a chance to hunt behind really great dogs, and I've and um, Ryan Parsons' dog is just fantastic. Brian Irish's dog, fantastic. There's other dogs out there, and I don't mean to, but man, I'm telling you, you could take probably the most hardcore PETA advocate. You put them behind a good dog, and I don't know how they can't be converted because there's just nothing. When because unfortunately I'm I'm high I'm getting allergic because they bring the dogs in here. I'm really allergic to dogs, right? And I can't have one, but it's my favorite thing to do. Like, you, like oh, it's just cool. if somebody says, "Hey, we're going out," and they, and I know it's a good dog, like I'm canceling meetings. I'm going out, right? But it's just I mean I can't. Maybe it's because it's something I, I have to always watch from afar. But that relationship between master and hunter, master and dog, and the communication and and just man watching the clockwork, I, I can't. I don't know. And then it, while well, I'm on well, my rant, well, uh, the perfect example of that is that Brian Irish got into hunting because he bought a hunting dog and saw the drive. And yeah, now he, had, he hunts. He had a rambunctious dog and was trying to figure out what to do with it and, hurt and learned that his he just breed needed a job. Yeah, learned that the breed that he yeah. bought happened to be a good hunter. And then he turned out that he happened to have a dog that was a great hunter. Mm-hmm. That and was he total revenue. He hunts because of his dog. Yeah. And that is amazing. The, the, but the dog loves the work that he does. Well, that, that's the fun part is watching a dog, especially in harsh climates or tough conditions, do whatever it takes because he wants that duck. Um, I videoed a hunt of, uh, or a retrieve this year of Kenny, and we were hunting. It was around Christmas back home, and we had about two weeks in a row where it never got out of the teens. And we went in and busted a pretty good-sized hole because we had found some allergies in this little uh, watershed lake, and there was a little swamp next to it. And we thought, if we can get a hole right here, we probably could land some of these mallards in here. And we did. And it was deep water. We were having a kind of shimmy out on a beaver dam to get in position and if you'd have stepped off that beaver dam either side you were in you know neck deep water and it was you know very very cold and we broke that hole and kenny's sitting up on the that beaver dam trying to stay you know dry and warm and first mile we kill cells way off into some thick nasty shit and take the ice away and you can't hardly walk over there to get it. It's just too mucky and muddy and too much silt in there. And, and you never know when you're going to drop off in the eight foot of water in there. And, um, my buddy was hunting with me and he was about 20 yards away and he had a really good view of, it. and he had videoed it too, just because watching this dog, you know, bust through this ice and break ice and just continue to try to find this duck back here in these, you know, thick buck brush and, um, just working his tail off and he comes back and he's covered in mud from head to toe because it was so muddy under the ice that he was breaking ice hanging off his ears and jumps back up on that beaver now and gives me the duck and that dang tail just a wagon and the give me another one. coming off give me another ready one. to go yeah. bud yeah steam coming off him and you know that's you know that's what to me what it's all about is seeing i love the ribbons but that right there made my day way more than this ribbon he got last weekend um, and so, you know, it's just all, you have to be there and see it to understand and appreciate, you know, good dog work out there. That's why I don't want to hunt with a crappy dog. Yeah. So when it comes to training dogs, you know, people say you can't teach an old dog new tricks, right? At what point, if somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I have a dog that's this old, at what point are you going to say, Hey, 
I, I'm not going to take that dog because of its age. We'll usually do a little evaluation. If someone, you know, that's pretty close by says, hey, I've got a two-and-a-half, three-year-old lab, never been trained, he came from good duck hunter. You know, what, you, know you hear all kind of stories, and, you know, can you, can you take this dog on? I'm like, oh, yeah. I've seen it sometimes where it was easy to train because they were more mature and could learn things a little bit quicker. And then I found it where since they weren't introduced to any of those things as a puppy, it just didn't have that prey drive. It had never been really unlocked, and maybe they didn't like water or cold water that much. You know, there's little things. And so I would always say, you know, just come over and spend a day with me. Bring the dog, and let's play with it a little bit and just see, you know, let's see what it does if I put a live mallard duck on the ground flopping, you know, does that dog run away from it or does it try to go after it? I don't care if it won't pick it up, but does it have any, you know, want to? I got, I got an example for you. I got an eight year old dog. No, I'm not taking it. No, 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 wait, no, wait. (laughs) He listens good and hates the ever loving shit out of birds. I mean, I, I could call that dog out of a dog fight by calling his name and he'll come right back to me. I've taken him out when he was a pup. I mean, many years ago, uh, probably six, seven, eight, six, seven years ago, and I, I would take him hunting with me. Had he's a mutt, but he is the best listening dog I've ever had in my life. I never trained him to hunt. Never had the intention to train him to hunt. We pulled him out of a litter. I pulled him out of the litter because he was the most barkingest dog hiding underneath the the uh, washing machine or whatever in that. So laundry. you picked exact opposite reasons that most people would pick a dog. Right. He, he, I, I thought <laughs> good, good guard dog. Yeah. But he he is probably one of the best dogs I've ever had. Yeah. He he, he is not scared of anything. Hates squirrels. Hates do- hates birds. He's killed uh, probably five or six robins that he's caught in the backyard over his lifetime yeah could i train him to bird hunt he hates guns you might no he doesn't jackson doesn't care about guns oh okay i mean he's he's not a fan of water i mean he'd be an upland dog yeah i mean what what i do when someone calls and says well i've got this older dog what do i do how do i train it i say you train it like it's a puppy you do everything like you would hey let's play make sure it likes to chase something you know if it's Obedience I, isn't right. Let's work on I, some obedience. I can, I can put a bowl of food in front of that dog and tell, and he will sit there and drool until I tell him to eat. Well, if if I was out hundred yards away and threw a mallard duck, would he go get it and bring it back to you? Uh, probably. I, I, I on don't, dry I don't land, know. huh? On dry land. On dry ground. Oh, probably. Okay. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. That dog. That yeah, dog I mean, will play fetch with you until it's just until a, your it's arm just falls such off. a yeah. It's such an individual dog yeah. by dog scenario. I mean, it's like that with everything, but that's why I just tell. Him, I said, like, "Look, it might work. It might not." He has a one hundred percent drive to please. I, I don't have to get on to that dog. I just say, "Shame on you!" And he, oh, he feels so terrible for what he just did. That that's yeah. all it takes. I was gonna say, that that kind of brings me to one of my uh, my mom hates it when I do it, but it's one of my favorite party tricks. My dog because she goes everywhere. If, if I show up somewhere with buddies or something i don't have my dog they're like we don't even want to see you like go get your dog and and bring your dog back but one of my favorite party tricks is i could take like one of these duck legs or i could take a nice fat juicy steak and stick it in her mouth and tell her to hold it 
and she will sit there and you could put a five gallon bucket under and she will fill that bucket with drool but she won't eat it she won't eat it until i say hey you can have it and then she'll just eat the mess out of it it's almost here's what you need to do all right because you've got something there you could go to the boykin nationals and win an event with that so every year at boykin nationals on i think it's the it's the last night when they give out the ribbons for the trial they do what's called the hot dog retrieving contest (laughs) All right, and so the game, and it's they're, they're raising fun. He's like five or ten bucks a run, and all this goes to Boykin Spaniel Rescue. And so everybody just comes, everybody's drinking, having a good time. The event's over. Hey, we're gonna do the hot dog retrieve, and so they'll have a guy standing. It's like a little course, maybe twenty yards long. The guy throws a full hot dog, raw hot dog, on the ground, and the competition is whose dog can get to that hot dog, pick it up, bring it back without eating it the fastest. And so I'd always do it just for fun and to goof off and, you know, people see you doing it and having fun and, and, you know, it's, it's good PR, I guess. And so I would get, I might have eight or 10 dogs running the national and I'd get them suckers out. And I always said that I'd be pissed if my dog didn't go eat that hot dog. <laughs> and so I was never pissed cause I could never get one to bring it back. And I mean, I tried three or four years in a row to get a dog to bring that hot dog back. Now, I wasn't training for it. I mean, there's people that would actually get ready for this event and work on this crap. <laughs> and so, funny thing about, I had won a national championship in all the divisions at Boykin Nationals, except for the hot dog retrieving contest. And so, this one year, I think it was three years ago, another trainer that trains Boykins from Georgia, Bobby Fair, he had bought a, a black lab from me years ago, and Bobby only ran the HRC hunt test. He didn't run the AKC master test, and he'd always, you know, ask. He said, "Hey, I want to get a master title on Creek, and you know, you taking a master national and stuff like that." So I would, you know, get him certain times of the year and go do that stuff with him. Well, this one particular year, he was bringing Creek with him to, to for me to take home from Boykin Nationals. So I'd run four or five of my Boykins on this hot dog contest. Man, them suckers kept eating it. And so I, I walked up to the guy that's the judge. I said, hey, is this, you know, all breeds can do this? I mean, it's not like it's a Boykin sanctioned, you know, event at this point. We're just out here having fun. He's like, yeah, I don't care. I said, all right, I'm going to go get Creek. So I grabbed one of the hot dogs and took back and got behind my trailer and got Creek out and did like I would force fetch a dog with a bumper. I held that hot dog in front of his mouth and I pinched his ear and said, fetch. And he grabbed that hot dog and he would chomp on it a little bit. I'd say, no. And I'd cuff him on the bottom of the chin, you know. And that's what I would do for a correction for a dog that's chomping on something. And so did that a couple times. And I'd throw the hot dog and he'd go get it. And he'd bring him back. If he started chomping on it, I'd hit him on the bottom of his chin. No, sit. And make him hold that hot dog. Well, I did that like two or three times. Like, all right, I'm fixing to go win this sucker. Because he's way faster. Because he's got these, he's a big, long-legged blab. And so I, I get up there at the line, and everybody's laughing, and some people are cheering, some are booing. And so I give him my five bucks, and that sucker hauls ass, gets that hot dog, and I'm hooping and hollering, get him to run back as fast as he can. He brings me that thing back whole. And they gave me the time, but I hadn't listened to anybody else's times. I had no, I didn't care that much. Well, they go out to give ribbons. First place, Creek, the black lab. <laughs> yeah. so I still got that ribbon in my office, and I, I joke around with some of my other training buddies that we all think it's dumb, but – because I've seen people actually come to that thing like they've been training for the hot dog contest. And I guess it's because they can't win the duck hunting one. But, um, you know, it was it's pretty funny. So you got a, an opportunity right there, bud, to win a yeah, national championship. It's just I don't know if I could get her to go 
get that piece and bring it back. Oh, you got to just teach your bud. I was going to say. Mean, you've already got to hold the thing without eating it. That's the main I was going to say, I, I got buddies that have, I, I think I gave her a taco or something one time. <laughs> and I was at a party and I'd completely forgot she was holding the taco. And I had like wandered around the party and done some other stuff. And some dude was like, hey, your, uh, your dog's still over there holding that taco. And I was like, oh, shit. Damn, I forgot about her. I wish you'd have brought her. Yeah. I'd like to see her holding this duck foot. Yeah, she would. She would. <laughs> and I was like, he'll, he'll put I forgot food about right it. on her nose and balance it on the end of the nose, and the dog will just sit there with it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I could do it with my dogs, but uh, I, I know that when I pour a bowl of dog food and I tell them to sit, they will sit there and just, uh, <laughs> just drool out of the mouth. <laughs> and to, you know, I'll sit there and like, all right, well, yeah, you know, uh, peanut butter, oh, and they jump. Yeah, see, these are stupid pet tricks that trainers don't get to train. Do. Yeah, right. I, mean, I don't have time. You know, you know you're trying you know to what, take the, care of thirty-five dogs. I'm putting bowls down. They better eat that shit quick because by the time I put it, the last one, I'm coming back and picking bowls up. The whole, the whole thing is, is that you know, I started with that because I had at, at the time I had two. Well, when I got Jackson, who's the the oldest dog I have now, I had, we already had another dog. And he was a puppy, and he was just trying to just eat everything. As soon as I'm trying to bring it down to the floor, and uh, I, I, like I couldn't, I couldn't stand that. I can't stand a dog trying to knock a food bowl out of my hand. So it was a, a sit, and I, when I put the food bowl down, when I tell you you can eat, you, you can eat. Other than that, like just just wait a minute, and and that transferred over to the dog. Another dog I have now. I have two dogs now, and at one point I had three dogs, and. I want to pour the food bowls. I want to set them all down. I want to step away and then allow you to eat. Yeah. And the whole thing is, and two, you know, when I had the dogs, I, I, I'm going to get in there when they're eating. I'm going to put my hand in the bowl. I don't want dogs to be aggressive because I have two little kids. Mm-hmm. Kids are going to mess with dog food. I don't want them to be protective over their food. Right. Like that was important yeah. to me. And I knew that well. No, before that's good kids. training. Making them yeah. sit. You know, when they're in. I, I've been on the road for 26 days down here now, and dogs are living in the trailer, and I'm just opening the trailer door, putting a bowl of food in there, right? You know, in their holes. But at home, when we're they're in the kennel, and I feed in the mornings, you know, I'm coming by with you know 10 bowls of food at a time, and I open that kennel door and I say sit, and I'm not putting the food down until they sit, and I put it down. And I say okay, and get it. And so there's you know that's a good discipline to have. You know, everything needs to be with these dogs needs to be structured. You know, their lives need to be structured and it needs to be consistent, you know, for them to learn things. And so, I mean, that's really I, good I, things to do. I mean, I had, I had everything dogs. you did. We were married. My wife and I weren't married for a year before we had a dog. But I knew at a year, we didn't have kids, so we were married for almost five years. But I knew that when we got married the first year, eventually we were going to have kids. And I knew that kids, being kids, are going to go stick their hands in food bowls and mess with mm-hmm. dogs when they feed. So the whole time they're eating, I'm, you know, before they're going to eat, I'm going to stick their hands in the food bowl. I'm going to mess with the dogs while they eat. I don't want them to be aggressive in any way because I'm not going to take your food. Neither right. are the kids. They don't want your dog food. They just want to pet the dogs. Yeah. And it was important to me that the dogs understood that when I did that, their food wasn't in danger. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it comes from, you have dogs that have, uh, uh, any dog that has a large litter, they have to compete to some degree for right. food when they're puppies. So they have to be semi-aggressive to make sure they get enough food. So when you get a puppy home 
it wants to defend its food. So you have to kind of break that. Oh, yeah, a little you got to yeah. set the guidelines, and right. that dog needs to know you're you're the alpha dog, and oh, they, you're yeah. in charge. I mean, all dogs need that because you get some that are just, for lack of a better word, just a dick and want to you know, be that way. They're aware now, and you <laughs> yeah, know, you got to show them well, I'm a bigger dick than you, bud. Oh, I got a. <laughs> so I have I have two. I've got a mutt and I've got a blue tick, uh, and uh, both of them know that when I say here that that's it you you better come here or yeah you're in trouble yeah. i think the biggest problem with my dog that aggravates me the most is she is like overly super collar conditioned so if she doesn't have a collar on and we're in the front yard she she never runs away but she'll like let her nose take her like four or five houses down and i call her name and she'll like look at me like what do you want and then she'll keep sniffing stuff but as soon as I take my hat off, she knows when the hat comes off, she's supposed to get whooped with the hat. As soon as I take my hat off, she's like, ooh, and tucks right, high tail to the house. Yeah. But if she has her collar on, she won't even think about leaving within, like, you know, the next mm-hmm. door neighbor's yard. Or well, I would wh- say it's under collar conditioned. Yeah. I would say because even, like, I get her collar you out think and she knows. You're, you're trying to say that the dog's collar smart. And no, collar wise, and knows yeah. well. I don't have the collar on me. I don't have to listen to daddy. To me, a very well collar conditioned dog. It's been ingrained now. Here means here. Sit means yeah. sit. And collar or not. Now there's going to be instances. All dogs going to be a dumbass and not listen. But I mean, I where I'm staying, I'm leaving my trailer uh, at at this guy's kennels in a field. You know, in front of his kennels, and I get there in the morning, and it's dark and you know, some mornings I'll I'll just turn loose all the girls at one time, and there'll be 10, 11 dogs running around this field, and it's dark. And I've got big LED lights off the side of my trailer, and I can see pretty good. But if I blow that whistle, them suckers better come running. You know, not, I'm not putting collars on every dog. I don't have, you know, 12 e-collars with me yeah. to put on every dog. But, you know, and there's certain dogs I know, all right, this little sucker likes to not listen from time to time. Yeah. You know, sometimes, and, and a lot of times it's the older dogs. Because these younger dogs are fresh. She's four going on five. Yeah, that's when they start to act like dumbasses. You know, these younger... I've got about six young dogs with me that are fresh out of, you know, super, you know, high-pressure obedience training and collar conditioning that if they're out there running around, they might be 100 yards away, and I say, you know, I say, here, them suckers come running. Now, I can turn loose a nine-year-old, you know, master national dog and goes out and poops and pees and just wandering around the field eating grass ain't listening to a dang thing I say. You know, they just get older and kind of like adults, I guess. I was going to say, are you different? I'm getting to the point now where I don't really care what you say anymore about me or what to do. I'm, you know, I'm getting to be that grumpy older guy now. Are are you in your 50s yet? I'm one year away. Yes, I'm 52, right? And you're going to see that just between 49 and 52, your willingness to suffer bullshit it it drops off at an exponential oh, yeah. level, yeah. man. It's I, like I, I, I will go ahead and and say that uh, 
I, I think that the army has advanced me many years because I'm 32 years old and I don't care what you say. I'm gonna do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> yeah, my well, give a damn has gone away. <laughs> yeah, and the the older I mean, I've my wife has said, you know, you've been the same grumpy old man since we've been married 25 years now. She said, you ain't changed a bit. I've listened. I've listened to too uh, many people for right. too long. I'm done doing with yeah. them. Look, that's why I like to deal with dogs. <laughs> yeah. All right. It, the field is foul. So, so what you're saying though is essentially is that at, I mean, she's about five years old. So I should have a collar on her more often now, or well, I mean, it just depends. If you're worried about safety at, at all, then I would, especially in. An, I don't know if you live in a neighborhood like this. Uh, I mean, and there's I, a road. It's, I mean, it's, I don't want my dogs. Yeah, this road's not near as busy as his, but yeah. her. I mean, she's she's not really a road. She she. She's not the kind of dog that's going to cross the road, but she's going to wander down my side. Yeah. That's that's just, that's that would worry me. me. Yeah. You know, that would worry me. I wouldn't, she I wouldn't to, let my dogs wander around like that. She wants to poop in somebody else's yard. Well, that's good. Oh, yeah, which I don't. I, that's I, convenient. I, yeah, I don't, I don't uh, discipline her for pooping in my neighbor's yards uh, because that's what she loves to do. I let her out the door, and she goes to my next-door neighbor's yard and poops in their yard, which is fine with me. Yeah, but, I hope your neighbor's not listening. Oh, my neighbor already knows. I had a yard sale a while back, and she was like, "Is your dog the one that's pooping in my yard?" I was like, "Yes, hundred percent. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. It is." They're nicer than I am because I used to have a neighbor that did that to me. I just started gathering up and leaving it on their doorstep. That didn't fix it, so then I started putting it in their mailbox. Well, that's all right because she's some old divorce lady that asks me to help move her furniture all the time. So I could just stop moving her furniture, and I'll let my dog start pooping in her yard. But as long as I'm moving her furniture, my dog can poop there. Well, you got an agreement. Works out. Yeah. So we're coming up on two hours. Uh, what is, you know, I'm, I'm wanting to train a dog. What are some tips? You're giving out. There's I, I, no free tips in life. Follow Brown Join Dog Brown Academy. Brown yeah. Dog Academy. Yeah. All right, Brown so here's Academy. what you <laughs> No, I mean, that you either, you find, if you're wanting a duck dog or you're wanting a hunt test dog, there are a lot of good programs out there to follow. And they are very step-by-step, sequential for a reason. And all the little things that I would describe for you to do in my program and all the ones like that guy, Evan Graham, that I learned from would describe or Mike Lardy, all these great programs out there. There is a reason for every single step. And so what I tell people is if they're going to do it on their own, find a good proven program. And I could name three or four that I would recommend and follow it to a T. Even if you think well, that's dumb, I don't really know why I would have to do that to do this. Well, there's a reason. And so, Having done enough and taken dogs that people started, it usually takes me about a day or two days to figure out, all right, this is what Jordan didn't do with this puppy, you know, in force fetch. This is where the collar conditioning wasn't good enough. This is where, and so follow the, those programs to a T and find, I tell everybody, find a local retriever club. You may may not be interested at all in the hunt testing stuff. But you get in a local retriever club, like there's Central Florida Hunt and Retriever Club is a good club that they do monthly training days where they get together as a big group and they have resources and, and equipment and ducks and they work on hunting hunt test scenarios, but hunt test scenarios are in essence hunting scenarios. So it gives your dog a chance to 
you know, to get good fresh mallard ducks when maybe you don't have a freezer full of them like, like I would. Um, it gets them around lots of people, which is, you know, helpful for them to be able to do these things with distractions going on. But it also puts you in contact with, you know, amateurs that have been doing a long time and are very successful. And it puts you in contact with other pros. And so getting the right kind of help as you're doing it, asking questions, go, you know, there's so many good pros in the Southeast that, you know, find the closest pro, call him, see if he lets people come and day train with you. Um, But, you know, don't just, the worst thing you can do is get on YouTube and just start, you know, YouTube and dog training videos. And not that they're all bad, but, you know, this guy's program may do things different to prepare for this than this guy's program does. So if you pick something out of his, and then you pick something out of this one, and then you pick something out of that, it may not all work together in each you know each way so pick one and stick with it and so there there's so many good ones out there i was gonna say that that was the kind of thing that worked out for me when when i found your brown dog academy it was actually briar that has liberty when i found brown dog because i was telling briar i was like this dog is tough because you can't i can't seem to shame her right like it 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 just it, it literally defeats her as a dog right to really try to shame her and then Briar was like, you need to check out Blaine with Brown Dog Academy. And I started, I, I subscribed to your uh, Patreon mm-hmm. and everything. And it just took off from there because I learned like what I couldn't, couldn't do with a Boykin itself. Right. And you got to know each dog's different. There's some Boykins that you've got to turn that collar up as high as it can go. And then there's some that, you know, you barely need a little bit. And you just got to read that dog. And that's, you know, that comes through experience. But finding, you know, people around you that have done a bunch or... You know, watching the right programs and the right videos where someone is going to... The reason I like mine more than some others is because I'm not using a trained dog to show every step. Mm -hmm. I'm using a dog that's in that particular step right then that doesn't know how to do it yet. So when something goes wrong, you get to see... And I, I mean, my videos aren't fancy. We're not using fancy camera gear. Typically, we're pulling out an iPhone... I just I got a wireless mic on it now, which is pretty cool because now I don't have to talk as loud to get you know good audio. But it's good substance because I'm showing you you know this is the good, the bad, and the ugly. When the dog doesn't do it right, this is what I do. When the dog does this, this is how I correct it. And so you got to kind of work through it. So you know, find a program, stick with it, ask questions, find a good pro to help you. So if I don't have a Boykin do I still get value out of subscribing to Brown Dog Academy? Like I said earlier, I train my labs, my Goldens, everything the same exact way. It was just, I hate to say it, but it was more of, you know what, I want to try, you know, Boykin people in general are a funny community. All right? I've been dealing with them for 20 years, but. That's why Jordan has one. Go ahead. Well, yeah. No, we get it. I get it we'll now. We'll get into that story later. And so, the, and so they've always, you know, a lot of Boykin people think they need their own kind of program for a Boykin. And they were always looking for one. There never was one. Everybody used Labs or Goldens for their, you know, training videos. And I said, well, shoot. And I started it back during the first part of COVID because, like, everybody's at home. They got this dog. They got time to work with it. And I'd been thinking about doing this for years and just didn't really know how or didn't have time or just wanted to you know focus on my business and i said well i'm gonna do it now while people are at home and give them something to do at a pretty inexpensive 
rate and give them quality content, even if it's not the best cinematography. I think content is more important than having a flashy video that doesn't really show you much. And so just couple of rednecks get out there with their iPhones and do a video, upload it to the Patreon and you know, you watch it and you know, depending on how much you pay, you know, you get more of me involved in your life. And you know, I've got p- people that they're, they're paying $150 a month to follow it. And, but with that, I mean, I'm on some, you know, depending on where they are in the training, I've been talking to a guy from Minnesota that joined for $150 a month and he bought a really well-bred Boykin from one of Buck's litters. And, I mean, I've been involved in almost every step of the process. He videos it, sends it to me that morning, says, all right, what am I messing up? Or I'm struggling with this. And I, mean, I talked to him for an hour last night in my camper because uh, he, was, he was, you know, stressed out about what the dog was doing. And I watched the video. And I said, hey, it's okay, man. That's, that happens. Dogs screw up. They do stupid things. They get sour about it. And so – you know, with my program, you can get sort of, you know, really intimate help, I guess, you you know, to say that, you know, send me a video, let me help you. I can't just go by what you're describing. And so, you know, Facebook is the worst place to go get dog training advice. <laughs> yeah. You go to these retriever training pages and say, ah, my dog's, you know, you know, chewing on a duck or doing this or breaking, you know, what do I do to fix it? And everybody's got a hundred different ways of fixing it. And nobody really knows the dog. No one's seen the dog do it. They don't have any idea what kind of training the dog had beforehand. And so at least with this, I'm able to walk with a guy, and I know exactly what he's done, how he's done it, how the dog's responding, and, you know, we're able to work through it. And so uh, it's kind of been fun because, I, you know, not everybody's going to send their dog to a trainer. And I thought, well, for the people that aren't going to send their boykin to me to train because they want to do it themselves, hey, at least I can get five bucks a month out of them. And help him out and see, you know, a guy make a good duck dog on his own. Because, I mean, I have 35 spots. I can't take their, all their dogs anyway. Yeah. And so, at least it's a way to give back and to make a little bit out of it, too. I mean, we're not going to get rich off it, but it's paying for my duck hunting obsession and my fishing obsession. I think you've had... Enough. Then you either don't hunt very much or you are making a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think you've had one female through most of your Brown Dog Academy. What was her name? Mildred. Mildred. That's my, yeah, that's, that's yeah. one of mine. Yeah, she yeah. was the one that, it, that's who I was going to focus the majority of the work around because I got her, she was out of buck as well, bred to a bitch in Louisiana that I trained that was really nice. And I said, I want one of those puppies because I like training that dog. And I had her shipped here at eight weeks old and started videoing the first day she was here. And then every step of the process, we just kind of been walking through it. And, you know, we, we've inserted a lot of other dogs into it just because we want to do you know, maybe something different than just this one force fetch video today yeah. with Mildred, but to show you more advanced stuff with some of the older dogs. I know I use Gunner, yeah. uh, a Gunner a lot in it, and, you know, he's a, a, a damn good little dog. So, so where is Mildred at at this point? She is at a seasoned senior level. She can run blinds good now, water and land. She can um, do doubles well. She her la- Her problem right now is long water swims on mark so we're working through that so but she's doing good and we're having fun with it and it's been a you know a been a fun uh program to do good deal good deal you ready to wrap it up yeah might as well gentlemen you yeah. got any closing thoughts I, i'll start with mine for anybody beats me to it uh buy your crawfish bowl tickets <laughs> there's gonna be yeah. a link in the podcast description 
Yeah. Uh, well, he says buy your crawfish bowl tickets. I'm going to say buy your pre-sale mud motor and uh, gun. And once the the dang uh, jack plate should be posted by this point, buy all your, all your pre-sale tickets at this point, too. Yeah, they'll, they'll be in that. The rifle, the mud motor, and probably the jack plate will all be posted as separate links in the podcast description, as well as where to find Blaine Tarnicki? Close. Tarnacki. 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 Where you can find yeah. your stuff. Uh, where can we find you? Me. You can find me at a number of places, but... On for the Brown Dog Academy, the easiest way, go to your app store, download the Patreon app, and when you down it's a free app, download it, and then on the search button, type Brown Dog Academy, it'll pull it up. You can subscribe and watch all the videos on your phone on the app. You can watch it on your desktop. Go to patreon.com forward slash brown dog academy. You can pull it up like that on your desktop. Or we have a Brown Dog Academy members page on Facebook where you can see I've been filming a lot of the videos of what we're doing down here this month. And, you know, I'll do just do random videos. Sometimes we'll do I'll do interviews with other trainers. I'll do uh, Zoom call meetings on Sunday nights, just, you know, free for all the members to get on. And we'll discuss questions and training and, and do stuff like that. But you can see us Boykin guy on Instagram and. Um, do you, do you have stuff. a link tree or something like that? Not really. <sighs> I mean, I can type, I can text you. It, it, send me some links. I will. And I will link all those links yeah. in the podcast description. I'll do it. Jim, what do you got? You, anytime we talk about dogs, I kind of touch on this. That um, Earlier I mentioned, you know, if you have a really good dog, you can take a hardened PETA person and you can convert them. But unfortunately, that, that really isn't true. And... I mean, there's ridiculous stuff that's popping up all over the place. I just read that there's a group out west that's trying to get beaver trapping banned federally, like a nation, nationwide beaver trapping thing for because it's gonna uh, say, it's gonna save the environment, right? Well, here's but, the thing though: <clears throat> you talk about they want to they want to stop beaver trapping. Well, how are you gonna buy your hats that they make on that they wear on Yellowstone? Well, that's just a point. Oh, we're that, not going to go into the fact that all the hats that they wear on Yellowstone are made with beaver fur. Go ahead. I, I mean, it was a poor example, but there are there is a certain number of people that just find what we do abhorrent. And I always try to remind people that if you go back, they've gone back in the geologic record and have found men and dogs living together for something like 15,000 years and definite evidence of men and dogs hunting together. They go back something like 12 or 13,000 years. Yet that is also an area, not so much in the water dogs and the upland dogs, but certainly anybody that's running hog dogs, bear dogs, deer dogs, that's it, man. And those you see it all over the place that whether it is hunting or firearms is they're always nipping at the edges. So when it comes down to conversing with someone, always be polite. But I would say especially when it comes to dog issues, um, that is something we can't give on. 
And if anything, it should be up. It's what a fantastic story to tell about that relationship that you've witnessed between dog handler and dog and anybody that's seen it, you know, the dog's kind of doing its thing, but there's usually something that happens, right? That you get the dog's a little keyed up because it knows it's in the woods, but whenever the handler gives the command, whether it's hunt them up or whatever their, whatever their command is, man, it's like a light switch. It's just a different, it can't, Wait, and it doesn't matter if it's hog dogs or whether it's quail dogs, right? It's just those dogs are doing something that is just—it's at their core. Like there is what they were that is what they are supposed to be doing. They are not supposed to be sitting in your handbag. Like that poor dog, man. (laughs) We wiener dogs are meant to hunt rabbits, right? Um, well, and I mean, the world's attacking everything we want to do. And yeah. we, have to, we have to be careful. And uh, Jim, you, you kind of touched on it. And, and I think one of our pillars here under pressure outdoors is we aren't here to be the loudest voice. We are here to create more voices. Bingo. Yeah. And then my last thing is learn to smoke your ducks. Oh, yeah, no kidding. Because that's, that's some killer ring, ring neck right there on the middle of the day. It is very good. Yeah. I uh, I let these hang a little long, and I did, though. No, I said, so there's, apparently, let this one this one soured a little bit. <laughs> this last leg out, I was like, ooh, that one got shot through the butt. <laughs> but, yeah, man. you, you And that, the reason I say smoky ducks is then you can eat the whole thing. Everybody breasts them out, and, I mean, sometimes I do, too, because plucking them is – no, but it's easy. It's I mean, tedious. you, you, you yeah. smoked it skin on, and it, and it, the skin is a little bit tough smoked, but the skin is also easy to peel off, and the rest of the duck tastes oh, amazing. Oh, the, the, the flavor it holds in that meat after yeah. you peel the skin off is just immaculate. Well, thank you. It's effectively duck ham, you know. You, I, I oh, yeah, mm-hmm. it and, 100%. Uh, I put a little, uh, this time I, I let it soak a little longer than I normally do. I usually just brine them for 24 hours, but I, I put a bunch of uh, different, all right, you talk me into Herbals that. in it. <laughs> and man, when I pulled it I'll out of the brine after off, like but... three days, it was like, wow, that smells fantastic. And then I didn't, and that's actually one of the reasons why I, normally whenever I smoke a duck, I'll take, um, I like Kurt Hall's uh, or Caribbean's honey heat, or I'll do barbecue rub or something on the outside just to give it something. Get on your fingers. You... I'll say, I'll, I'll tell I you. I didn't. I just wanted to do nothing but duck. I got to know, Jim. Between between the, the, the red meat and this, I'm, I just took a bite of this ring neck. No skin. It's good. There Anybody that says no ring neck's dip. not good needs to try Jim's recipe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it's on it the it's UPO on, website. Yeah, the Under Pressure Outdoors website. Um, UPONation.co. There's almost no difference between that smoked ring neck and a smoked venison. No. No. They're pretty good. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm a I'm a eat it all guy. You know, I, I I do throw just because of time and, you know, th- things eventually get old. <laughs> you know, sometimes uh, I, you just got like, man, I got to break this thing down before it's just not good to eat. But I got to know, Jim, has the uh, the butter salt after the uh, Tennessee trip, has that? The butter salt. We made we made steaks and I used the, the butter salt from Walmart. I can't, for God. Oh man, you know I forgot about that. I haven't. I don't. I don't own any of that. I'll have to go inside. And I'll, I'll tell you the name. Forgive me, but we will in, incorporate this into the next podcast. Uh, but 
That's damn good. Oh, yeah. Well, our, our next <laughs> podcast is going to be tomorrow, and tomorrow I'm bringing a venison and root vegetable fricassee that I may have brought before. I can't remember, but um, it'll be good. It'll be, you know, it's going to be, because it's a fricassee. You know, that, that jerky that you tried it, right? The, yeah. The beef jerky, that, that was off your, uh, the, the Rock Springs dough. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So that was a young one. <laughs> uh, oh, it, it was very tender. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, I'm glad I'm glad everybody's cooking. And they, uh, anyway, we're we're to final thoughts, and it's gonna, I can't go another half an hour. But yeah, yeah. Buy your crawfish boil tickets. Buy win a custom rifle. Win a win a mud motor. It's all there. Win a jack plate. A jack, it, You're it's, big it's, on this jack plate, aren't you? Uh, I'm the one Welcome that got to Florida, I, boy. I I need to win that jack plate of any people. All right, yeah. I got a 12 foot John boat with a 99 Yamaha on the back, and it's a long shaft. It needs I a jack need plate. that jack yeah. plate. Uh, but it, check the podcast description. There's plenty of stuff to win. We can ship the rifle to you, no matter where you're at. Well, as long as you're in the U.S. You know, if you're in India, we can't ship you a rifle. Sorry. We do have I'm listeners not, there. So yeah, I know you're out. there in Australia. I, I, yeah. We love you, but sorry. ITAR and all that good stuff. But uh, love you guys. We'll catch you next week. Lane, thank you for joining us. Thank you or so Blaine, much. Blaine, thank Fun. you for joining us. Sorry. Yeah, Bye. man, we appreciate having you.